0: Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore.
1: Previously on the Resident Evil podcast, Revelation
2: saved this franchise. I
1: mean, I certainly had to, you know, run down the road and find a phone box to
3: phone a phone line. Uh,
1: not those sort of phone lines.
2: <laughs> and this was about a chance to reach the ideal version of that game, what they would like to have done if they'd been able to
1: do it six years earlier.
4: For me, it's not what I want
5: because I, I absorb the law.
1: Oh, I'm having hot palpitations. Don't do that.
5: <laughs> what are going to do? Yeah, him and Chris are in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> and both fighting over Jill with the same voice actor. I'm glad Sean to hear that the fandom need giving you the finger on
2: that one.
6: Resident Evil Podcast Hello
1: and welcome to episode 92 of the Resident Evil Podcast Where there's half a million reasons to listen I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, let's see who's joining us today It's that time of year again when Mr Freeze strikes, better call the Batman Hello He's known to spend his time in a frozen cryotube Awaiting to be set free by a high-pitched umbrella madman It stars Tyrant no, I'm... He may have a cold undead heart, but at least it's summer down under. It's Romby.
2: Oh, thanks for noticing, Nick. I was going to say that.
1: And returning from an icy expedition to the Resident Evil village, it's Mr. Spencer.
3: Hello there again. Love to see you all again. Hope you've been keeping well. Coming up on this end of
1: year podcast, we're asking ourselves that question. What's the deal with Resident Evil post the fifth game, RE5? In a nutshell, many of the plot points from Resident Evil were dealt with in the fifth game, leaving, how should we say, a slightly disjointed follow-up. And what we want to do today is go through those games and the media that came out post Resident Evil 5, both chronologically as they were released but also in universe so we're going to go through each of the years in the build-up and to see if we can make sense of exactly what's going on and whether there is a decent underlining narrative that's the goal that's the aim and we'll see how we get on of course we'll have the news and we'll finish with uh, an end of year and neptunes by hazard quiz so let's start with the news As listeners will know we decided uh, with our Remake Reflections podcast that all talk of remakes will be put on the back burner. First bit of news, remake news from Capcom seemingly. Right. <laughs> yes, so IGN have been reporting quite widely about potential remakes coming from Capcom themselves. At some game awards in in Japan and questions were asked to the, some of the producers there whether there'll be any more remakes coming. The answer was yes, but perhaps not Perhaps it was. It's all a bit muddy.
0: Mm,
2: I don't know. It seemed pretty obvious. I'm going to read the quote. Go on then. We've released three remakes, Resident Evil 2, 3, and 4 in quotes here, and they all have been received very well. Since it allows modern audience to play these games, it is something I'm happy to do as someone who loves these older games and we want to continue doing more. What games we will remake in the future is something that we'd like to announce in the future, so please look forward to it. So it implies they are definitely going to announce something and they're going to do At some
1: point, yeah.
2: At some point. that was. the uh, director of the Resident Evil 4 remake, uh, Yashira Anpo. It's like I said last episode, to me, at this stage, until it all goes horribly wrong, it's more not when are going to get more remakes, it's just what order it's going to be. They're going to remake as many as they can that are successful.
1: And of course, the, the internet's response to this was calm and measured. <laughs> but... You know, it's raised the question. and There was some rumours, uh, we don't normally address these, but there's some rumours of Code Veronica Remake, which was, I, I think, pretty much been debunked, at least in terms of that particular rumour. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, as well,
2: Capcom has been doing the occasional, at least pre-COVID, and I don't know if they've really, fully restarted them properly since was like the uh, ambassadors thing with playtesters. And so the next remake, no matter what it is, uh, come forth, it is likely that someone will be playing it at one of those and have to sign a bunch of NDAs and so forth. But uh, I want to say the current run and the current length of time is taking them to develop these remakes using the RE engine, we will hear something about the next remake next year, without a question.
1: Remake 4 news yes, we can't get rid of it, but uh, Resident Evil 4 v- <laughs> remake VR has now been released available as a a free kind of update if you like to the playstation 5 version of resident evil 4 remake and stars tyrant you've had the opportunity to have a quick play with uh the opening level i believe i think we're going to do more of an in-depth review next podcast but i know you're eager to share your preliminary thoughts
4: yeah so it'll just be a cliff notes thing we've only i've only had time it literally only launched yesterday at the time of recording so we are uh, I've only done chapter one as such, but it's enough. It's enough to give you an Im- an impression. There's a few caveats to say. Um, if you've come straight to RE4R VR, it's a bit of a mouthful, from Village yeah. VR, <laughs> you'll notice that there's actually a few compromises in place, like whereas Ethan could open cupboard doors and drawers and things like that. You can't really do any of that now, from what I can tell anyway, from the limited time I've had with it. Um, they're all just uh, X button prompts now, which is, is a little bit of a shame. It takes away some of that sort of VR shine that was the you know the ability to interact with your environments fully. And you can't just like clench a fist and punch a box open now. You have to use the knife or the X button prompt, and the box will just crumble before you. Which is a little bit more immersion breaking than than how Village did it. But that said, the immersion of being I think what's different this time is that Village and RE7 before it were. First-person experiences, anyway. So when you you jumped into the VR version of that, although it was very fresh, you were still seeing a version of events that you'd seen in first person before, if that makes any sense. Whereas because 4R was a you know third-person experience, to now go into Leon's eyes, he's a bit of a game changer. The world feels. Absolutely incredible. I've noticed so many details and, you know, even just in the opening chapter alone, so much that I missed just playing the third person mode because it's just out of your peripheral vision. Whereas when you're actually actively looking around your surroundings, you just go, oh my God, there's a window there. I didn't even know there was before. And that's all really amazing. But when the combat starts... This is, hands down, of the four games so far, the best combat system of any VR Resident Evil game. It is dazzling in terms of like the parrying, the gunplay and everything feels satisfying. Even the context-sensitive actions, like when you get your headshot or your kneecap and you go in to do a melee move. OG4 VR did this. But the transition between the actual first-person action and the the context sensitive melee attack was a bit jarring, whereas on this it feels perfectly seamless, and it never takes you out the experience. Parrying is just the most amazing thing ever, and the experience so far has been absolutely magical. I'm almost confident to say just one chapter in, just one chapter in, that it will be the second best VR experience, if not the best. It's better than OG4 VR, because that that was problematic in that it was fun seeing that game in a new perspective, but it broke the game to achieve it, and it took everything that made that game special away. It made it a neat and novel experience, but it did fundamentally break the game. Village VR is fine, but, and as much as everything is well worked in that game mechanically from a VR point of view, playing in VR exposes all of Village's problems, like how much of just the game is a glorified corridor, how painful those opening few minutes are, you know, even with the skippable cutscenes, the, the forced slow nature of it the Beneviento section i'm sure w- would have been scary if it was your first time through in vr but you know if you've been through the game that many times it's lost a lot of its shine that section because it's so on rails re4 rvr is just a very very special experience the gameplay loop just shines and um, if it can dethrone resident evil 7 which as a caveat doesn't have all the you know the glorified gunplay and motion controls but was a built from the ground up Resident Evil VR experience and is still, I think, the reference today. We'll explore it more in the next episode, but first impressions are it's dazzling. Anyone with a PSVR2, it's a no-brainer whether you should play this. And that's just the other thing. It's so painfully apparent the install base for the PSVR2 is so small, I think, because of, of the price, that no one's talking about this. You know, as I scroll socials, yes. you know, the game's been out as a time of re- recording a full 24 hours. I'm seeing nobody talking about it on socials. No one's sharing their experiences or anything because I genuinely don't think people are playing it. Because no one's got PSVR 2 except no, the crazy ones
1: assume. of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think you make a good point that potentially we're going to have two very different VR experiences with Seven, which is more of survival horror, slow, tense building, in your face type things, whereas this is a lot more action packed and refined. What was Dr. Salvador like? Um, intense, <laughs> when, when
4: he but, intense, but thankfully, you know, I do almost curse Capcom in some ways because the problem is getting a VR experience for a game you've already been playing quite extensively, like for a year, means that when you get into the VR aspect of it, although there's new things that you have to learn, like, you know, how the reloading and everything works, how you dual wield and stuff. Because you already know the tricks of the trade as such, and this is what I was saying about the Beneviento section in Village, it does lose its shine a little bit. Whereas I think what made 7 so fresh was that everybody who did that VR experience was it was potentially your first time. Whereas anyone who's going to play Village VR uh, or Remake 4 VR has already played the, you know, the 2D vanilla yeah. game. So Salvador is scary because he's literally in your eyeballs but you're already well equipped with all the techniques to, you know, to basically nullify him in the opening village section. I'm more interested to see how like the later sections. I can't wait to get to the castle because I just think the castle's going to look absolutely dazzling in VR. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna have one of those because the castle section, like that, is one section of the game I would say absolutely demolishes the OG interpretation. Of and
1: Ashley's section should be a bit of a laugh as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the lantern's
4: <laughs> going to quite work and, and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, it's early stages. I wish I'd had more time to play it, but such is life. Uh, and we'll get a more in depth look at it soon. But yeah, very excited to see. Hopefully, they'll uh, maybe patch in separate ways at a later date, and we can have VR zip lining because that'll be uh, be interesting.
1: Infinite Darkness news. Oh yes, <laughs> issue four of the Infinite Darkness manga is now out. Yes, yeah, so it's been released in comics, and we are tantalisingly getting close to the actual release of the trade paperback, which I believe is still scheduled for March. Uh, Batman, you, obviously you've been following the Infinite Darkness um, comics with greater intensity. How, how was this one?
5: Uh, I don't know, because I haven't got it yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it only came out a couple of days ago, and I don't live near any comic shops, unfortunately, so I've not been able to get my hands on it as of yet, but... The three issues that I have have read so far have been pretty poor, to be honest. It's, uh, it's not really that engaging, so I'm not expecting much from this one. I think this is the penultimate issue. I think there's only one more to come, um, and so far not a lot's gone on really, so not really much to say, unfortunately.
1: Mm. I'll be definitely picking up the trade paperback. You can order it at quite a few places. About sixteen it- to twenty pounds in England.
3: Forbidden Planet, you can get it. Yes, is there can, a yeah. release date for the trade paperback?
1: Uh, hold on, I thought it was sixteenth of
3: March. He comes into this. He's not even prepared, right? He's going to be the news guy.
1: That is the end of gaming news, but moving over to site news, as always, I want to first thank our newest patron. Uh, so a big shout out and a thank you to Platypus. The biggest bit of site news and the only bit of site news is the fact that we have now surpassed Five hundred thousand Podbean downloads, which is quite an incredible thing, and you'll probably see um, on our social media platforms be a thank you message and you know a general thanks to everyone who's listened over the years. Um, that's five hundred thousand downloads since February twenty sixteen when John you took the step and set us up on Podbean, and then of course that distributes it to wherever everyone listens us to on um, Apple, Spotify, wherever. So it's really humbling that we've reached such an enormous landmark so um, i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who continues to listen we're very very grateful (laughs) that does conclude all the news we therefore turn our attention to the uh, main focal point of the podcast we are looking at basically resident evil 5 and beyond
0: Son of a
6: bitch. That was for our fallen brothers. It's over. More and more I find myself wondering if it's all worth fighting for. For a future without fear? Yeah, it's worth it.
1: Welcome, one and all. This is going to be a ex- bit of an experimental podcast. If everyone casts their mind back to, well, many, many years ago, I think it was episode 42, our kind of History of Raccoon City podcast, this is in the same sort of mould. We're going to be looking back at everything after Resident Evil 5. Why Resident Evil 5, I hear you ask? It's because Resident Evil 5 really brought together a lot of the story points we had, the culmination of Chris and Wesker, the reveal of Spencer, and kind of like world-ending doomsday project, whatever Wesker had concocted with Ouroboros. And in many ways, Resident Evil 5 felt very much like a finale of, you know, everything that had been built up to that point. And, And very cleverly, as we've often said in our review of Resident Evil 5, bringing in Resident Evil 4 as well, which at the time felt quite disjointed from the rest of the series. So Resident Evil 5 did a very good job with that as well. So it left it all very nice. But then afterwards... We're in a very weird scenario. The kind of build up to Resident Evil 6, um, and all the projects that kind of came in between chronologically all felt a little bit disjointed themselves. So we want to kind of go through each year to see if we can try and work out and establish is there a decent underlying story in this kind of bioterrorism era that actually gives us hope for the future, and it may well be that we follow this up with a future kind of part 2, where we look at the Mold BSAA storyline, which I know a lot of people are really interested in as well because, um, again, so much of this stuff is not overly clear in the games, so that's the plan. That's what we want to do. Interestingly, after Resident Evil 5, it took a long long time before we actually got a new title in universe should we say the first piece of material post Resident Evil 5 that picked up the storyline afterwards was issue one of the Mahara Desire comic which was June 2012 I think that came out issue one so we had just over three a gap of actually the storyline not progressing at all which is a huge <laughs> amount of time and then 2012 things. so obviously we had Damnation and Resident Evil 6 But that doesn't say there weren't any games in between. And this is an interesting point to start our conversation. There were games released post Resident Evil 5, but all of them were prequels. So to start off, we had Dark Side Chronicles, then Resident Evil Revelations, and then Operation Raccoon City. So it's just an interesting point that, you know, they were very reluctant to go forward. It took them three years to actually progress. So I just wondered what everyone's preliminary thought on that was, you know, and perhaps comment briefly on Dark Side Chronicles and Revelations in particular, because I think Revelations did a really good job job in helping 5, at least establishing some of the newer points and organisations that they set up in RE5, such as the VSAA
5: Yeah, I think you're right. I'm sure RE6 was in development for a long time before it was ever publicly announced, but Capcom releasing three prequels post-Resident Evil 5 is a clear indication that they weren't perhaps entirely sure what to do moving forward. Resident Evil 5 at the time really did feel like the end of the series. You know, It resolved so many different plot points. There was bits and pieces left behind. What was Ada's ultimate objective, you know, what was her organisation, Wesker's umbrella revival plot, was Tricell going to be the main villains moving forward, we got the Alex Wesker tease in Lost in Nightmares and the immortality virus that Spencer wanted, and obviously there were some more classic characters, we still don't know whatever became of them, you know, the likes of Barry, Rebecca, Carlos, Sherry, none of them have been heard from since the original games that started. So there was building blocks there for Capcom to move forward, but I do think they were struggling with what to do, now that 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 connective tissue of Wesker and Umbrella was gone and dealt with. I kind of wonder
3: if, in a weird sense, it comes down to in universe brand power. And what I mean by like brand power, if people aren't aware of it, is like the McDonald's logo the, the Golden Arches, you know, so the stuff that you recognize in the public space of like, oh, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the same would apply to the Umbrella logo as an in-universe brand power thing and that you see the Umbrella logo and you're like, oh, I know where that's from. It's instantly recognizable. And I think once you deal with Umbrella and that's gone, that logo, that initial thing you see that like your mind associates with Resident Evil is gone. It's like, okay, what's the next draw? Tricel, I guess, but you need to build up Tricel first. It's like Thanos in the MCU. He was built up over 10 years of movies, like name dropped here and there, and then you conclude with Endgame and then you're done. And that, I think, is the same issue with uh, the post-OE5 world. Like the MCU today is struggling to kind of grasp itself like a new villain. It needs a new Thanos. And it's trying to get there with Kang, but it's not quite working. And I don't know if they had like an exit strategy or what they wanted to do beyond Endgame. And I wonder if that was kind of the case with Ori 5 where once they had done this whole story arc with Spencer and Wesker Umbrella that you know where do we go from here we we have little nuggets as Batman said to use but we have to build those up over time and that takes a while to do.
2: They definitely didn't have a roadmap of what to do next because the producer that was working at the time didn't like the fact that they basically had to make a follow up to 4 and then when 5 came out and did fine 6 was even harder to follow up and so yeah it's a tough road I've said it before too like once you got rid of the main villain too once you got rid of Wesker and you got rid of Umbrella in such a swift form the previous game at the start of 4 you kind of lost a narrative thread of interest and, and the franchise became more like the villain of the week where each game each title had its own set up and own plot and they didn't really interconnect so even the idea of trying to build a universe wasn't adhered to had they even tried maybe things would have been different or you know bad guys that didn't die at the end of every game because that's what they'd done with Wesker and I think those are just fundamentally easy things to have implemented but because the franchise was in flux and post Resident Evil 6 for a while it wasn't even sure if the franchise would continue you know it's it's one of those cases where um I don't think they had made a roadmap at all so
3: people need the mystery but you've got to build up that mystery you can't just randomly that's what I like, didn't like about Derek Simmons in the sense that he just randomly was put in, and it turns out, oh, he's actually behind everything in a lot of ways. But you never name-dropped him once. And I think that's the point. You have to build people up first before you just drop them in. You can't just have, like, an instant Thanos and people just go, oh, look, there's a big bad. You've got to build the hype up first, and Capcom have got to start doing that with someone.
1: I think what you said earlier is also true, but this kind of brand recognition as well. I mean, they can't let Umbrella go. It's still their kind of, like, number one merchandise point.
3: we had Neo Umbrella in all respects. We had Neo
1: Umbrella, and then, of course, they they brought him back.
2: Yeah, and I was going to say the reframing around the Umbrella tech and and all that sort of stuff. It's very much, you know, even on the good guy's side, it's... yeah that's the thing I think the biggest crime in this and in this, the catalyst and unfortunately is actually at the square foot of the franchise creator who decided to basically kill Umbrella at the start of 4 to create and figureate a, a different gameplay style but realistically it, I think it was more to, to do with the question like it was that well I'm paraphrasing but the uh, the Simpsons episode with Poochie and it's like all the characters should be asking where's Poochie but it's like if you hadn't killed off Umbrella and the events of Resident Evil 4 were happening people would expect Umbrella to have been involved somewhere so having that right at the start of the game and getting it out of the way basically says this has nothing to do with the previous events of any previous games this is its own thing and so i get the intent but obviously they had no idea of the ramifications of making that decision at the
3: time there's no harm in like i think killing because umbrella like it it should have been allowed to run for a bit longer than Ori four like, I agree, but there's no harm in, like, killing off a villain or killing off an antagonistic force and having new villains come in and build them up.
1: This is where, though, perhaps some of the prequels that came out afterwards in, in the subsequent three years could have done a little bit more to kind of do that build up. So we had nothing in Dark Side Chronicles, although it did help with RE4, admittedly. I think Revelations could have done something. I know it was more of a prequel to help you build up the BSAA, and I think it succeeded for that. But Il Veltro, Lansdale, T Abyss Virus, this is what you mentioned earlier, Rob. This is kind of the beginning of the kind of one and done monster of the week, virus of the week, you know, BOWs of the week type scenario.
2: Admittedly, Revelations is slightly better than some of the others that have come later because at least some of the background narrative has been referenced and become not relevant, but at least exists within the universe of other parts of the franchise. Mm. But need there to have are certain. Characters. I don't disagree, but if you look at the current trends in media, if you need new characters, you need a passing of the torch. People don't accept it otherwise. It's kind of like what you were saying before about, like, the Avengers thing's probably a good example, right? You built up your bad guy. The audience is connected with, like, the heroes coming together to defeat this bad guy. The current one isn't quite working. If you don't do it right, then people revolt. So if all of a sudden you just switch to a bunch of new characters without any reference to old ones, then people would go, oh, I don't like it. That's why there's been so many of these legacy sequel films right and they work sometimes and they don't work other times depending on you know the franchise but they're all kind of going down that path
3: I would agree that you need to have like a passing of the torch say Chris to Piers in Ori 6 would have been perfect it would have been so good to have Piers be the next like protagonist because he looks like, you know, early Ori One Chris back in the original you know, PS One era.
2: If they just introduced new characters without a passing of the torture and having those old characters involved, the franchise would kind of lose part of its identity much in the same way as like as you were saying before, with Umbrella, taking them out kind of is an iconic part of it, so much so they're still aiming on that icon for merchandise for new games and all that sort of stuff. It's a very hard line and I can see why 6 as a game in particular was very hard to be a follow-up to 5 because they had the, the reinvention of the wheel and it had done well with 4. They followed up 5 which was relatively well received at its time. I think in hindsight people have been more harsh to it than they were at the time of release. It wasn't as successful critically you know, as 4 but it wasn't the worst follow-up. But 6 especially was a hard road and as much as I don't like like the game, I give them credit for trying. But I think, unfortunately, that led to its very much messy approach of everything in the kitchen sink. And that includes its plot, which is just all over the show. The character interactions are great, we've talked about this plenty of times, but the plot is just a mess of trying to make those things work. And I think one of the biggest things that they did wrong was, it was right to do it, I get it, but wrong, perhaps, in the execution was the whole crux of, like, that idea of Leon and Chris pointing guns at each other was the beginning of the genesis of the story. And it was like putting the the cart before the horse. You're trying to figure out how to get to that point, and it was how unearned. can we? Have, yeah, that's it. It was unearned, and I think this is what I would class as a lot of the franchise. Since is that the bad guys have been unearned, or the situations have been unearned because we didn't spend the time building them up. And they don't have a purpose other than to be villain of the week or situation within the game or enhance the gameplay narrative more than they forward the continual lore and plot.
3: So would you argue that the solution then is to keep Umbrella around for just long enough to get this new faction, this hypothetical new faction established and known in people's minds?
2: To me, personally, what's frustrating is that we do have these alliances answers, but then sometimes you let things go and then all of a sudden Capcom will throw something back in, a spanner in the works so obviously like having Spencer turn up in Village like at the note is harking back to connecting it to the old games to put an HCF reference in Resident Evil 7 is to be like where the hell did that come from like yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, so what are we doing? Are we disconnecting ourselves from the past because we're too far removed? Or are we wanting to tie these back in? And if so, then just build on those. The HCF thing for me especially is like, that was totally unexpected. It's still now just a random reference that just has no relevance. It just turns up in context. It kind of is a bit weird because it adds more mystery to the situation. But It, makes it just the kind world feel no,
3: smaller too, I think, as well. That
2: is always a problem with franchises like it the more you build sometimes the more you contract and oh, we've, we've um, spoken
1: about how it's hard to get Claire into a new storyline yeah Infinite Darkness is like a perfect
2: example of that where like her part of her thing she's looking at orcas that have washed off on the beach and I'm like okay this is fine and then she just becomes essentially the background character because Chris is still involved until she you know is involved more directly but yeah it, it is kind of weird in that respect yeah, and that's no. That's it. It's the justification of trying to get... It's the diehard trope as well. Like, How many times can one guy get stuck with a bunch of terrorists or get embroiled in something a mass scale before it suspends your disbelief of the ability for this person to keep getting involved in the same things? like you've got to give reason for them to be like you have the events of stars in the mansion they put themselves there because they were with the team and then you put the bsa as a good reason because it's a bio terror squad so it puts these characters in potentially risky situations but claire is not that character so she can't and so it becomes very hard to find justification i think it's also the reason why characters like chris and leon have become fan favorites is also because they're the easiest to put in those situations because of the situations they've been written into they've been put into leadership roles or management roles of bioterrorism or personnel or people Give a
3: desk job, basically.
2: <laughs> yeah but like one that allows them to be the action hero trope you know because of the way that the situations have been written with their stories and sometimes they do this and it works like Sherry's a good example in Six right like they decided to create a character around the ability that she'd had this virus thing that she'd had when she was young so they're like well let's lean into the idea that what was her life like after Raccoon City and what kind of character can we make her and we can put her in the field this way it's It's a lot easier to do that than it is to, say, put Rebecca in the field because why would she go and put herself into danger now and that's why she's quite often is a desk job. She's very rarely, you know when she's in things, very rarely involved unless she gets dragged into it somehow by the actual villain. Otherwise she's usually pictured at a desk.
1: Before we move on to the start of the years let's cast our minds back So what was your hope post RE5? Where did you personally want to see the story go after RE5? What lingering point did you find particularly interesting? Uh, this of course was a lot of forum generation back in the days. John, what was your hope? Baton day?
5: I think the biggest hanging plot thread for me at the time was Ada. You know, what was her ultimate objective? Who was she truly working for? What was she trying to do? I would have liked to have seen a post-Resident Evil 5 game all about her, with her as the playable character. But at the same time, I would have liked some kind of resolution for Leon and Claire. Resident Evil 5 very neatly tied it up the Resident Evil 1 and Code Veronica plot lines. So I would have liked the equivalent for Resident Evil 2 but the problem was Leon and Claire throughout their adventures in the series they never really had uh, a regular villain um, obviously they were aware of Wesker but you know Leon infamously never came face to face with Wesker at all so he never really had that goal that he was always chasing Leon was just like oh another bioterrorism incident another bioterrorism incident you know he didn't have a clear objective like Chris and Jill had for going after um Wesker, so that already presented a, a, a little bit of a problem going into Resident Evil 6. I
1: mean, the DLC was quite a big one, though, as well. You mentioned as well the Alex Wesker development, because that kind of came out of nowhere.
5: Yeah, at the time that felt like insurance, because they were going to kill off Albert Wesker, and if they couldn't yeah. think of anything else, it was like, right, let's bring in Alex Wesker, who pretty much mm. everyone assumed was a, was going to be a man at that time. To me, like it felt like the old soap
2: opera potential twist of like the twin brother played by the same actor. Yeah. <laughs> that's where i thought it was going to go i was like oh no don't do this don't do this so it was quite nice the gender was actually female it was a great option and then when they fleshed out the story it's interesting your comment about leon and Claire, like the only narrative thread that they had going post Resident evil 2 and code veronica was literally that they were wanting to stop umbrella that's the yeah. end line for both games like and it didn't really have much to hang a narrative thread on because that answer could have been anything. And unfortunately, it came down to that whole Resident Evil 4 thing of just, like, axing Umbrella and not getting to see it. And then when they finally did do a narrative that had some conclusion, it ended up being Chris and Jill. And so I understand why, because obviously they went to try and connect that to the first game where it was Chris and Jill as the main characters. But it kind of, yeah, shortened up Leon and Claire, and in time they gave Leon more purpose, they gave him an, you know, the narrative storyline and background, but Claire just kind of never really got that conclusion she just kind of, that's where her story inadvertently towards the original kind of ended and then they had to create reasons like they did with you know, Revelations 2 and Infinite Darkness and any the other time she appeared in those animated movies as well had more of a reason to be there than with the NGO stuff and it kind of, I don't know I can't speak for everyone, but it never really fully worked for me.
1: I always used to think with Claire, you're right, because obviously the opening of Code. Veronica, you've got her actively infiltrating Umbrella HQ in Paris you know, and and taking a very head-on view and approach to, you know, getting the answers and bringing them down. And then that all kind of ends because of Resident Evil 4 (laughs) in that way, because we don't get that takedown game that everyone was hoping for. Mm. Um, And then, yes, you've still got the lingering points with Wesker, which is wrapped up by five. So it it was difficult. I mean, I, I remember many conversations about Alex Wesker, and I always think the immortality virus was a good segue as well, because that made perfect sense based on the kind of God delusions that spencer had it made sense that's what the goal was of progenitor that's what the goal was of everything that's happened but even that didn't really go anywhere because i think john you'll correct me but alex wesker just kind of gives up on it really he finds it near impossible and then just decides to go with her version of data consciousness
5: whatever it is in rev 2 Yeah, it's abstract immortality, isn't it? Yeah, it was just sort of quietly forgotten about. But it's it's sometimes easy to forget as well that Lost in Nightmares came out, you know, a year after Resident Evil Five. So when we finished the base game, we didn't even have, you yeah, know, these lingering. Oh no, Alex Wesker was briefly mentioned in one of the files in the main game, but so we didn't even have these bits of nuggets to point us towards potential future storylines. But the funny thing is, Resident Evil Five felt so definitive at the time, and obviously Wesker was killed off in a very exaggerated way precisely to stop people from speculating that he might have survived. I probably would have been more accepting of the remake train beginning then as a series reboot because the series felt like it was finished. It felt like the storyline was done. So I'm wondering if the likes of the older fans, you know, and I include us in that, may have been more forgiving of a potential series remake back then compared to what they've done now.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course Capcom were thinking about it with Operation Raccoon City. An earlier format that was going to be a
5: remake 2 so. yeah and obviously Dark Side Chronicles they, they did a retelling of 2 as well The interesting part for me is like, even though they
2: had the Jill and Chris thing in the Umbrella Chronicles to kind of narratively give Umbrella, it didn't stop them because they've done this anyway, retroactively putting another event in the timeline that could have had that resolution for Leon and Claire either that, you know, could have told another story of another Umbrella branch prior to the events of Umbrella's End that tied in somewhat to Umbrella's End, That like not saying it was the point of the narrative, but partway through the narrative, they find the information about the base, they end up giving it to Chris you know, and that's what set that catalyst off, and and they could have had their own adventure in another event that was either a throwback or a, a you know different game. But I think that ship had kind of sailed narratively.
5: Yeah, I must I must admit I'm surprised that they've never done that because yeah. I think fans would lap up that kind of storyline. A big C, John Umbrella's Last Base or whatever. Chicago
1: branch or something. Yeah.
5: It would have
2: also been interesting, even later, to do it as like a dual narrative thing where you have a modern story going and it ties into a previous event that shows you an event kind of set post Code Veronica as well. would have been an interesting thing where it, it connects. And yeah, the Infinite Darkness thing with the, the end of that, the distrust also could have been a really good setting point for setting that narrative up where the two yeah. of them have to trust working together, even though they're currently in a distrust state, would be a very interesting way to. Um, narratively start another event of the two of them working together for some reason but it would feel slightly forced if not built properly
1: so, so what was your what were you looking forward to after RE5 any particular plot point that left you hanging
4: No I think I think the thing was at the time for a long time fans like ourselves by that point we were well attuned to the expectation that the next game that comes along, the next number title, isn't necessarily going to be a sequel to the plot lines that preceded it. So I've always had an open mind when it comes to RE sequels as such. So I pretty much took it at face value. Obviously, we'd had a closure of many of the storylines. And as John's just said, like the Alex Wesker thing wasn't really hinted at to be able to carry it until Lost in Nightmares came along. So if you if you sort of narrowing it down specifically to how I felt after RE5, I I think you know I was satisfied. I wanted the series to carry on, but I didn't particularly care how it went on, if you know what I mean. Because, like I've just alluded to, history taught us to not expect anything if, like, you know, the reset of RE4 was happy to abandon like the previous however many years of story build-up. I was just more than happy to just be along for the ride. For more RE titles, of course, we, you know, go into this stagnated period of bizarre prequels like Revelations, which served a purpose, but I didn't find it wholly effective effective and sequels that didn't hit the mark with Resident Evil 6 so Resident Evil 5 if anything marked a a sort of murky period that the series took a few years to recover from unfortunately
1: so let's enter that murky period with a torch, and we are going to start in universe, if you like. So the chronology of events and the key lore points that happen post RE five, and we're going to see if we can build up a narrative structure of uh, sense that uh, you know we can try and you know work upon as, as we kind of build up to. But well, the aim is to build up to twenty fifteen. So we're going, to, which is Death Island,
6: bioterror. The world lives with it. You live with it. Viruses are stolen, re-engineered, misused with tragic results. And who are you supposed to trust? Politicians who sell their souls for a few votes? CEOs who betray consumers for a quick buck? Count on us instead. We're above the politics. Always watching, always ready to face the threat, head on. We are the
2: unflinching mob that sops up the evils of bioterrorism and chemical
6: warfare. They call us... Terror Save.
1: So, 2009, the main plot points, if you like, that happened in 2009, Uh, Wesker's secret research was passed onto Blue Umbrella and we know because of uh, Resident Evil 7 that Blue Umbrella was was actually founded pre-RE5, was it 2006 John?
5: 2007.
1: I keep getting one year out, 2007. So all of Wesker's secret research was passed over to Blue Umbrella to help start their anti-biohazard weapon development which we later see in Resident Evil 7. We know as well that during this time Ada turns her attention to the family, which again is, well that's a huge, huge issue in my opinion. A patron style organization that seemingly had troll over quite a lot of world events. And then we start to bring in the importance of Ada, at least to Derek Simmons, who we've kind of mentioned already. He completes Project Ada with the specific goal of creating a doppelganger using Carla Radame's um, and the new C virus. So, John, did you want to talk about the C virus? Because not many people know what it is. I say that in a very polite way to our listeners. It's just it, it's just another name of a virus. It's not as explicit as perhaps other viruses as to what it is and what's in it. If I remember correctly, a lot of the information was only available on, was at the Resident Evil 6 website? The Resident
5: Evil.net yeah. programme. The C-virus, in, uh, the crystalline virus as it's known, is um, created by Carla Radame, who was a, a researcher working under Derek Simmons for the US government and the family. It's basically a fusion of the T-Veronica and the G-virus. It ties quite a lot into the series' history because... Simmons obviously had access to Sherry, which is where they got the G-virus from. And obviously the T-Veronica was taken from blood samples from Manuela in Darkside Chronicles. And she basically was able to create a version of T-Veronica which negated brain cell degeneration, which is obviously the problem Alexia Ashford had to overcome. This strain was called TO2 and was successfully combined with the G-virus to form a base C-virus prototype. This was used later down the line to create juavo bioweapons and complete mutation species which is where after taking a certain amount of damage the juavo will harden into a chrysalid the body composition will be broken down and it'll be reborn into a completely new life form and these chrysalids have different types of genes injected into them you know reptile genes mammal genes and this determines ultimately what kind of creature comes out and when simmons betrayed carla radame because she's a close genetic match to ada wong he injected carla's dna into one of these chrysalids and gave birth to an identical clone which is obviously what kickstarts the events of uh, resident evil 6 Mm, it's interesting
1: because you don't get told a lot of that in the game and the c virus just seems like a completely random virus and it does suffer a bit from whatever it needs to do itis if you want to call it that but there is a lot of things so like the ball that carla has with the injection ball it's full of different genes so there's not just one version of the c virus it's c virus plus as john says c virus plus mammal genes and then when you do come out of the chrysalis you're going to you're going to come out as a napad or if it's a left you know a, a snake so all, all these things like the Ijuzu and the Brazak, the sharks, the snakes and whatnot but they they aren't actually snakes they are all human mutated into that particular animal rather than it's not just a shark infected with the sea virus it is a human has, has the sea virus plus shark dna and then has mutated horrendously as part of the complete mutation species that was my understanding of it
5: yeah i mean the virus it tries to replicate whatever third party dna is introduced so so this
3: chrysalid thing when these things form a chrysalid and you know what's going to come out of it so these things are basically loot boxes right
5: yeah when you inject it with a certain dna you've got an idea of what's going to come out that's a key component of making it a reliable bioweapon
3: but it's not entirely random in terms of what's going to come out of there, even though no. it's like a combination of like DNA added
5: to it. I think the idea was it started out randomly, because obviously it's got traits of the G virus, which has endless mutation cycles. Project Ada ran for God knows how many years, and there was over 12,000 different experiments. And as they were refining that, I think they came to realize that injecting different types of DNA would lead to different types of creatures. The virus basically replicates whatever DNA is introduced to it and obviously it culminated in the birth of Carla which is still um, random though <laughs> yeah i mean random. yeah i mean it's it, it's not as well explained as other viruses in the in the series but you know i think they just wanted something big and new for resident evil 6 Hmm.
1: This was going on in 2009, so a good three years before Resident Evil 6 actually takes place chronologically.
5: Yeah, the backstory to 6, I suppose, is Carla was very loyal to Simmons, didn't expect him to betray her, and even though the experiment was a success in that she was reborn as a perfect physical doppelganger of Ada, she still retained some repressed memories of a former existence, and this led to her starting to hate Simmons over time, mm. and this formed a whole revenge plot, which is why she formed Neo Umbrella and, and basically tried to destroy the world and break down everything the family had spent centuries building.
1: Meanwhile, this is where we pick up Alex Wesker's stories in 2009. Uh, she is conducting her fear experiments, and this is the beginnings of the T-phobos virus, another kind of variant of the T-virus. I always liked the T-phobos virus because technically Claire's still infected with it, although she may not be now because of Death Island, maybe. Again, the T-phobos virus is actually just pretty much the T-virus, but an ability for it to be activated when one is induced with fear. I don't think there's that much of a difference at its heart to the T-Virus.
5: Yeah, it's just about slowing down the introduction of the virus into the bloodstream i suppose and you know if if it's slowed down enough then in theory you can create antibodies to try and combat it and adapt to the virus and alex wesker came up with a system that you know the virus would only transmit around the human body quickly through secretion of hormones associated with fear and anxiety but you're right other than that other than the sort of unique delivery system it's just a standard t-virus at the end of the day.
1: And that slow release system, we've seen that before in a number of BOWs. but I suppose that's how you explain some of the more powerful zombie-like creatures in Revelations too. But was it Jason from Infinite Darkness as well? He's been having the T-Virus uh, a number of years, and that's my headcanon anyway, that because he had that and he kept taking the suppressants that he built up a kind of natural immunity and then he stopped taking it. His mutation then made him basically, you know, an asparagus tyrant rather than just a zombie. Mm. Uh, Alex Wesker also obtains from Africa the Uroboros virus.
5: Yeah, I'm not sure how she's done this, to be honest, but it's not really elaborated on, but she clearly manages to get hold of it because she was interested in what Albert Wesker was doing, and she's sufficiently impressed with it to uh, continue his work so she starts experimenting on that we talked at the start of the night about tricell possibly being the big villains moving forward Mm. unfortunately that's not the case because they've done a resident evil 4 mark II by killing off tricell pretty much straight away it's not alluded to until the intro of revelations 2 that there's big talks going on in congress about tricell's imminent collapse so we have to kind of assume that they were implicated in the whole creation of Ouroboros and what was going on in Resident Evil Five. So the global pharmaceutical consortium not wanting a repeat of what happened with Umbrella went down very swiftly on Tricell and they were sort of dead men walking pretty much straight away after Resident Evil five, which I don't think anyone expected. You know, I think a lot of people hoped Tricell might turn up in Resident Evil six, but it was not to be.
1: Especially after degeneration as well. And ironically infinite darkness, a couple, you know, many, many years later.
5: Yeah, and revelations as well. Yes, of course, yeah, yeah, with yeah,
1: Jessica and things like that. It's all very disappointing that Tricer weren't followed up on. I think that's one of the biggest failures with that, because I thought there was that, you know, what John said earlier with the kind of build-up. I thought they were doing it, albeit quite slowly and over a number of things, but... Mm. But yeah, so that, I don't think there's anything else. That's a general kind of feel as what was going on in 2009, so that kind of first year post-RE5. Uh,
5: and Chris a- meets Pierce... Yeah, I think that's important because that was the first indication of this possible passing of the torch that Rob and John were talking about earlier, because Pierce was clearly designed as a successor to Chris going forward.
1: 2010 then ladies and gentlemen uh, we'd spoken quickly already Carla founds Neo Umbrella to get the revenge on Derek Simmons we've always spoken about that because at the time obviously having Neo Umbrella was a you know not a particularly good idea but you understood why she would call it that and it kind of made sense within that universe you know umbrella bad 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 and yet obviously with Resident Evil 7 we then have this retroactive insert that actually the name umbrella has been going on since 2007 as seemingly this good guy and it kind of makes neo umbrella stick out quite weird I think You know, it's
3: like, well, I didn't really think. I just realized that. Yeah, it is kind of weird, isn't it? Because, like, Blue Umbrella was like, oh, we're doing good things now or something. That's just a fan name, remember? We call it Blue Umbrella just to. Oh, just to differentiate between the two. Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, the post 2007 Umbrella, which, let's say, 2009, they were well on their way to, like, redeeming themselves because it's been a couple of years since, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then you have Neo Umbrella, and it's like, okay, we're back. so we're back. Well, wait a minute. This person's giving us a bad name. We're working really hard to try and fix our old image and to get better. And then this person comes along and is like, hey, I want to name my company after the the old umbrella and then do the old umbrella stuff so you guys think about the old umbrella again. Like, mm. it's really confusing that you mentioned that. Like, I didn't really think about that before until you just mentioned it. I
4: was just going to say, you know, um, I've always praised this series historically for how cleverly it weaves in its retroactive storytelling. It's always done a pretty good job. We've alluded to the OG RE4 as being a game that sort of did its initial damage and then over the years you saw later entries actually enhance that narrative and and make it more relevant. The Umbrella revival in 2007 is by and far the worst aspect of retroactive storytelling the series has ever had. It Mm. does so much damage.
3: I'd agree with that 100% because it also not only undermines... I'm so sorry for invoking Godwin's law here, but I feel that here it is very applicable because you look at Umbrella, and Umbrella is a company that has done unspeakable atrocities. They're basically implicit in genocide. I would describe Raccoon City as a form of genocide that they were accountable for because they released a virus that killed a lot of people hundred thousand plus people so they killed a lot of people they've been experimenting on stuff and then they turn around and be like oh we're going to do better we're sorry for what we did we're going to do better I don't think there's any coming back from that. You're not going to like claw your way back into anyone's good graces by being like, oh, we're not like the old Umbrella, we're new people. And I get it, Japan is like, you know, Japanese culture has an obsession with redemption arcs and that kind of stuff. It's kind of the thing, but I think it's stupid in that case.
1: I disagree to an extent, because I think it is actually explained quite well as to how Blue Umbrella kind of came into existence, why they existed. It's a shame a lot of it is hidden in supplementary gun law that John's translated on the website but there's quite a lot of logic to it and there's a lot of and and you see that in re7 as well with chris being a bit "Mm, not sure about this the issue is as sean alluded to is having it in 2007 if it was post-RE6 that Blue Umbrella came into existence, I think it would be a lot easier to digest. you got to remember, though, Blue Umbrella is not made up exclusively of old Umbrella employees. It's, but think, didn't think,
3: they mention that? Wasn't it in, in Ori 7 Not a Hero, that, like, oh, some of us came over from the old orders, or whatever? Not,
1: it's not all of it. It should be none but, of them. It's a bit like... Um, oh,
3: don't worry, only some of us used to be arseholes.
1: But it, I think it's made up of uh, a lot of Wesker's fanatics as well. Um, oh, even better! <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But they were under quite a lot of UN embargoes as to what they can and
3: can't do. Oh, yeah, we, it- we had a tough time. We were very stressed back then. You know, we were just following orders. That's what. You know, we're just following orders from Wesker. But don't worry, we're good now. Get out of here. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean... Should be in prison. All of us should
5: be in fucking prison. This is why Wesker's secret research was so important. I can only assume they put Blue Umbrella as being re-established that far back and we never hear from them simply because no one trusted them and they operated very much in the background because they were too afraid at the time to make themselves public. And like Nick says, they were under heavy sanction. They weren't allowed to have any armed units of their own. And I think part of the reason they rose to prominence is because the world governments were all kicking off because bioterrorism was really getting out of control. You know, we were having outbreaks in China, in New York. You know, It was just getting ridiculous. The BSAA was struggling to contain sites to the point where they just quarantined them and just let the zombies roam because there was just too many of them. And, And everyone was like, what the fuck's going on? What are we going to do about this? And it was Blue Umbrella who had the answer because Wesker's research was allowing them to create all this new technology and weapons that was specifically aimed at destroying BOWs because Wesker's whole idea was BOWs are the future of global warfare, so he wanted to monopolize that and control it all by possessing not only the most deadly bioweapons, but all the effective countermeasures as well. And Blue Umbrella used these countermeasures to fix the problem of bioterrorism. You know, they they handed it all over to the, the likes of the BSAA and this is what got them back into people's good books. And the working theory at the moment is is part of the corruption with the BSAA in Village is because Blue Umbrella have become so powerful and the BSAA have become so reliant on their weapons and technology that Blue Umbrella are kind of dictating BSAA policy now, which is why they're possibly deploying into sites with bioweapons of their own. Mm. See,
3: that is interesting, but again, it just justifies exactly what I said all along. Should never have allowed those people to come back in any way, shape or form. Because, you know, a shit leopard can't change its shit spots. But it makes and that's a good. A fact.
1: It, it makes it a good storyline. But I think from the point for the point of 2010 is the foundation of Neo Umbrella just kind of s- puts a little bit of a spanner in the work of what is actually quite a decent bubbling storyline with Blue Umbrella, which we may cover in a future podcast as kind of like which
3: wasn't a storyline at that point, which wasn't a storyline um, at the
1: point e- exactly, exactly. So whereas when, when you had Neo Umbrella back in for this, yeah, it made sense. You know, you've got someone who wants to take out the world. I'm going to call it Umbrella, ha, ha, ha and you know, Derek Simmons is going to eye on my spike and it's gonna form the umbrella symbol aren't I clever and you're gonna you know it's all gonna look very good so it made perfect sense that the world would be horrified by the fact that Neo Umbrella's back but what we don't know and I don't think it's that clear in a lot of the law just how public Blue Umbrella were by 2012 how good were they in people's graces should we say isn't
3: that just so typical though of like how the real world itself kind of works where if we need something important, or we need something that's going to help us, we're so willing and eager to just like turn a blind eye to a group that may have committed atrocities in the past, purely because it helps us in the moment. It's yeah, yeah. politically safe to forget about it. That's I what think makes that's it a storyline. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is compelling in that sense. Yeah, I agree. Mm.
1: So that's quite an inter- interesting start of near umbrella at that time. But the first actual event the actual first canonical event that takes place in 2010 is biohazard the stage which of course is very much a podcast favorite here at REP uh we are big fans of the stage so Uh, I'll do my best to try and summarise what happens. But if anyone has not watched it, I think it is still available on YouTube. Just search for Biohazard or Resident Evil The Stage and watch it. I think the translations are a little dodged because it's from from Japanese to Russian, Russian to English. So a lot is lost in translation.
4: Can confirm it is Currently on YouTube as of this episode.
1: Brilliant. It is absolutely well worth your time. You can get enough of the gist, I think we can all collectively agree, uh, about what is actually going on. It is superbly acted. It's a great representation of Chris and Pierce and Rebecca as well. It is great to have Rebecca in this. And we get some really cool, clever flashbacks to the mansion incident, you know, the the way they do it. And it's it's a great little storyline. So set in a Western... Australia in a place called philosophy the students go to philosophy university and the dean there is a chap called Ezra Senate and he brings in a chap called Barrington Mayer some great names of course who can help pay so, off the <laughs>
3: a typical southern England name right there Barrington Mayer yes. Hello, Barrington.
1: <laughs> you've got Ryan Howard who's a, a professor there and he's been experimenting on the T-virus and he's mixing it with something called the Irish
5: giant is that right John Yes, yeah, is... that's actually based off a real world thing where it is, yeah. some humanoid remains in an Irish mine in the late 19th century. So
1: he's kind of got hold of that and he's mixing the T-virus into that because he believes his son, Tyler Howard has been killed in action. Now, uh, I think we've kind of speculated that Tyler was part of the same unit as Leon. It's
5: confirmed in the
1: story oh, that he,
5: he works for the same US agency under Adam Benford. There was like a, a mini T-virus outbreak in uh, Minnesota, I think it is, Yep. Yep. in 2005, is... and that's where he met Rebecca.
1: And this is canon, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So he, you've got Ryan Howard's kind of the baddie, and he's doing experiments in the university, and students keep going missing. And I wonder why they keep going missing, Obviously, He's been testing on them and the, the police are getting involved about missing students. The Dean, uh, Ezra Senate guy, is very concerned about the reputation of the university. bit similar to Mahara Desire as well, you know, reputational and that establishment. Rebecca gets wind of it and she takes um, almost like a secondment over to Philosophy University um, to do a bit of digging as well. And she's teaching a lot of students um, as well. And she comes across a girl called Mary Gray. And she eventually plays quite an important role, Mary Gray. She's one of the very few that are a near perfect adapter of the T-virus. Not many of them we've seen in the series that she's one of them. She has relationship issues with a couple of other students. But then Tyler is not dead. This is the kind of big twist that plays out that Tyler Howard is very much alive and he's coming to Australia as well. To find his dad and it all culminates basically with Ryan Howard leaking the T-virus into university. Rebecca calls in the BSAA, Chris and Pierce turn up and then you've got lots of guns shooting zombies and it's it's all good fun. And then it ends with the idea that Ryan Howard is shocked that his son is still alive, doesn't necessarily believe it, and then he has his own little tyrant. He sets out to kind of T103 to uh, So he didn't start.
3: even know his son was alive or dead. Do you
1: I think I he
5: would do more research than none. Basically, he had been told that Tyler had been killed in action during this 2005 T virus outbreak, when in reality he was told to fake his death so he could join Adam Benford's unit. So Ryan Howard is believed his son was dead all this time and has been trying to bring him back to life um, yeah and he was failing and he became more disillusioned over time he was influenced by mary gray who because she was a perfect adapter to the t-virus she developed a bit of superiority complex like mm-hmm. alexia ashford she thought regular humans were not good enough they were all corrupt they all needed to be exterminated she wanted to reset the world and She basically, over time, corrupted Ryan Howard into believing the same philosophy. So he started experimenting on all the students, basically. And the reason Ezra sanctioned these experiments is because he believed Ryan Howard was trying to use the T-virus to artificially improve human intelligence. Because he cited Mary Gray's living proof that it could work and he believed that if we all became super intelligent, we'd all be nice to each other and we wouldn't go to war with each other, and yeah, it was very, very misguided. Mm.
1: And interestingly, Mary Grey wears a bracelet similar to what Claire has in Revelations 2. I'm not sure it's 100% confirmed, but the way it looks like at the end, she can almost trigger an overdose of it, and that causes her to (laughs) mutate rather violently. Stars and Rob will bring you in then. Bo has the stage. You can comment on your views of it, but also, arguably another example, perhaps the first example post RE5 of a kind of one and done storyline but expanding upon at least the roles of the BSAA because we get the Oceania branch of the organisation. You see
4: for me it's interesting because at this point in time If we we look at where we are in the timeline. I become less interested in the factions and the politics as I am the characters. So obviously this was notable for the fact that this was Rebecca Chambers' first return in canon some 15 years. Yeah, it was. So with regards to that, it's a much better debut for her than Vendetta was, which is obviously the more well-known entry but that doesn't take place until 2014. So this is like Rebecca's first canon entry into the timeline since basically the mansion incident. And um, I wasn't too bothered, in answer to your question, Nick, I wasn't too bothered about us experiencing standalone stories because that's honestly where I thought we would go after Wesker's departure. I just didn't think it would be quite so, as we're going to talk about, as the entries come so singular and so isolated each entry the stage was always going to be its own thing and i and i love it for that and i don't condemn anybody if they're not aware of it or not know of its canonicity or anything because it is a kind of obscure entry into the fandom i think it's great i think it's well worth every fan tracking down and watching it um like i say give the youtube video a watch if you enjoy theater I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I love it as an entry. I think it's a really welcome contribution to the series. It doesn't have anything really in terms of lasting contributions, but it does establish Chris and Pierce's relationship a little bit more as we go into RE6.
1: Rombi, what did you think?
2: I'm kind of in the same point as Sean was just saying, which is which is more of a character base than it is a, a narrative continuation kind of world building. And it's great in of itself, but it's kind of missing that point about continuation. Continuing a narrative connection throughout its universe. It's one of the things I probably get most frustrated in the post-RE5 era is what we talked about earlier on, which it doesn't feel like there's a roadmap where there was some pretty obvious and easy connections that could have been planned or made that would tie it in you know as much as it's a a random stage show that not everyone is going to see or has to see it's nice when you are able to tie it in without it causing any grief and i think more could have been done in that regard but what is there is good but then it's the same same thing i had with the remakes it's the same thing where I've, i've had with a lot of these games where i i can see the opportunities and they just kind of didn't make the decision to clear the dots and sometimes that's intentional i think as well maybe to make sure that it's not forced upon people to have to see this, but otherwise they might be missing out something important. So maybe we should be celebrating the fact that it has as much connections as it does and yeah. that you know it doesn't change anything negatively and so if you get to enjoy it i did say you get to enjoy it on that level and and, and enjoy the experience of it
1: 2011 now we're we're zipping through the years so firstly adam bentford succeeds ashley's father as president sowing the seeds for what's going to come and obviously i assume he got into office was horrified about what was going on with the u.s government and their involvement with bow purchasing from uh, illicit black market organizations such as umbrella um, and he, he obviously wanted to share to the world what was happening. And that was his modus operandi, should we say. But in terms of kind of gaming uh, and where we're at, this is the start of Revelations 2. This is Neil Fisher's ties to Alex Wesker. And he's part of TerraSave, which of course we know is the NGO. Neil Fisher was, I would use the term acolyte, he was very much an acolyte, a protege, should we say, of Morgan Lansdale. And he was very much in, in the same kind of mould that bioterrorism is needed in order to keep people like him employed and so he kind of followed that, that same route and he wanted you know to betray Terrorsave and use them as hosts for Alex Wesker's experiments because he felt that they would be particularly good candidates to test that fear element he wasn't as smart as Morgan though I don't he's think. not no he was he wasn't too bad though so at what point in the games did everyone think he was the baddier
5: from the very first screenshot I saw him I remember yeah. <laughs> putting a post on bio here saying he might as well wear a t-shirt saying I am the villain <laughs> Yeah.
3: It, was, it was that, but also, like, getting outplayed by Alex Wesker. She oh, played oh, him like yeah, a fiddle. Yeah. She outsmarted him. He wasn't as smart as he thought he was, and he thought he was up there with Lansdale, in my opinion.
6: All right. I've isolated the best candidate. Good work. Now it's your turn to
0: fulfill your end of it. What did you... Uh. You wanted an Ouroboros sample, now you've got it. Lapdog.
6: You don't know shit about me!
0: I know you were Lansdale's puppet. When Velcro incited the Terregia panic seven years ago, the FBC was pulling the strings. The old man went down, but he was smart enough to pass the torch before he did. You played me! Because you're an idiot. You thought you could create a new terrorist threat to justify the FBC.
6: A monster like you could never understand.
5: Well, he had the same weird philosophy. People weren't taking bioterrorism seriously enough, so he needed another big incident to make people realise that agencies like the FBC was needed. So he, he basically sought out Alex Wesker to try and get hold of Ura Boris, and in return, he provided her with test subjects from Terrasave who had quite a strong resistance for fear to mm-hmm. fear sorry, for her experiments. But obviously she was playing him from the start.
3: So it was like, man, people aren't taking bioterrorism outbreaks and such seriously. We need some big event to happen. Boy, did he get his wish next year? 2012. Well, I'm
2: just going to say I kind of like that character style sometimes when games subvert that by making someone a little bit more feckless you know a version of a previous one but does it poorly because there's a bigger antagonist who's taking advantage of it and that's exactly what that narrative is with, with Alex Wesker I think it the joke about being able to tell that he he was essentially a turncoat was so obvious because he's supposed to be so somewhat more inept at it because he's actually being manipulated into something without realising He thinks he's in control but he's not and I think that's a really good use of narrative in that.
1: Yeah definitely I agree. So we start with Claire's side of the storyline We are all quite big fans of Revelations 2 on the podcast as well. We felt at the time the game was very much needed, probably a test bed for a bit more horror-driven Resident Evil at the time. I think we've spoken before about how perhaps it was a much larger influence on the series than perhaps its kind of side story, you know, spin-off suggests it was in in, in the long run. So Claire's story is interesting because obviously it has parallels to Code Veronica, Captured, Prison Island, that kind of thing but she takes a different, I mean there's been lots of discussion online ever since Revelation 2 came out about Claire's characterisation in her storyline, but I for one have always been quite happy with it and she takes in a much more professional role and one who's kind of like, oh shit, I'm back here again, and what am I going to do? But She's very competent, knows what to deal with and she's got to put up with her kind of pesky teenager who's effing and blinding every five minutes I liked Revelations 2 as a game, I I thought it was a a very successful, scary, horror filled action and it's very much welcome as the time. Sean, you've always been a fan of Revelations 2.
4: Yeah, again it comes not necessarily from like where it was in the timeline, although I did appreciate the fact that it did feel like more of a RE5 sequel than RE6 did in many ways but again it was just more of the grounded nature of the title. I know everybody takes umbrage with Claire in this game but she never bothered me for reasons I've explained many times on the internet that I don't need to go down now. And honestly, if you're talking about it from a retrospective point of view John and Rob will remember this The four episode playthrough, it was a blast, you know, going through each week. But the epi- mm. episodic nature, which people don't really get now because, um, you know, so many years have, have gone on from Revelations 2, that it was an episodic release, and th- and those weeks of sort of speculating where the game was going to go and everything like that was, was genuinely wonderful. This was, I think, if we're talking about it as a game series, not necessarily with regards to its canon, the turning point that paved the road for what was going to happen with Resident Evil 7. With regards, again, to its lore, which is obviously the, the focal point of uh, what we're talking about today... It gave us resolutions to plot points I never thought would even be touched upon. We know we've always you know talked about how so many things are alluded to or hinted at in this series that I never touched upon again and alex wesker was one of those things that we even talked about on forums that you know she's never going to get mentioned again he's never going to get mentioned again because we had no idea obviously of um, the identity of her at the time and then when they actually did you know with the big reveal of episode 2 of revelations as it was it was like oh my god we, you know, we are actually going to get a follow up to a plot point point. <laughs> you know, it almost felt like we were being spoiled by capcom so yeah i think revelations 2 is a massive entry i think it it's almost a disservice it's still labeled as a spin-off
5: mm. i think it helped as well bringing organizations back like TerraSave. it makes them feel a bit more important that they weren't just a one and done thing from degeneration and also bringing back ouroboros you know having a bit of continuity with the viruses i thought was a, a good idea as well But as to how Alex Wesker was handled and what ultimately became of her, I can't say I'm a fan.
1: No, her storyline is nonsense. It is actually quite hard to follow. and I mean, Revelations, Mm. obviously, like the clue's in the name. I mean, if you can follow Revelations 1 on your first playthrough, then congratulations. It's utter mindfuck, really, isn't it? What's going on in Revelations. And then 2 comes along, and you think you're following it. and, And you are, for the most part. It's just the end part of Claire's story. You're like, what? perhaps more Barry's you think you get it you go okay I get it. I get what's going on but then you stop and think who's Alex Wesker? was she in her brain? So, okay, if so who, who's that? what's that?
2: the unresolved too like it's not like we've had any information to expand or understand it any better
5: it's been a while since i played Revelation 2, but if we're going through it chronologically and we're only talking about Claire's game she's not even revealed to be Alex Wesker is she not? at this stage no
4: I think she's no. only ever referred to as the overseer
5: yeah I mm. thought that was the case I couldn't quite remember
4: It just occurred to me, you know, Spencer earlier, he mentioned the MCU in comparison with the series. And one of the biggest criticisms that the MCU is levelled at is the fact that you need almost encyclopedic knowledge of that universe now to get into a, you know, phase five movie. You know, if you if you were to just randomly go to the cinema and, and say, "I'm going to go see the Marvels this week," Good film. you're really not going to have any fucking idea what's where these characters have come from, what they're about, who they are. And although the narrative might work on a basic level, you're not going to have any of that emotional weight that the story needs you to have to extract the most from these characters. And now I think about that. And I've always kind of dismissed it as an MCU fan. But now I think about it, fucking RE was doing this shit 10, 15 years ago. You know, if you just talk about like the Revelations games, as their own identity. So you've got Resident Evil Revelations 1, and that decided it wanted to tell a storyline of the, the beginnings of the FBC, the BSAA, and all that. And then you, you think, oh, great, I've I, I really enjoyed that game. I'm going to go straight into Revelations 2, because, you know, it's bound to follow up, you know, the Lansdale plot and things like that. You're going to be completely fucking bewildered what's going on. <laughs> Who, who's this character I'm playing as now, Claire Redfield? She wasn't in the first Revelations. And in many ways... All the criticism that, like, the MCU gets levelled at, RE is way worse. Because, <laughs> you know, how, how the fuck are you supposed to follow this?
5: I was just going to quickly say, I mean, we've we touched on this already, but this particular phase of the Resident Evil chronology is suffering from the exact same problems the MCU is suffering now. You know, it's suffering from the, the hangover of Avengers Endgame when all the key characters left, so to speak. And, that, you know, that's a
3: masterful point, actually. Yeah. RE's in the same yeah.
5: position now, following that's, RE5. That's, like, that's the
2: post-RE5 thing, yeah, exactly. I think it's a valid point,
3: yeah. They should just do it at this point point just bite the bullet and admit to it, and then just do a whole new start and just be like, "This is the Biohazard well, connected universe." But you that's know, kind of what they base did base with or, Seven. Yeah. That,
2: yeah, essentially, what they did with Seven was like going right, clean slate. Let's try and keep this minimal. So you know, there's a little bit of history of umbrella connection. There's a few things, but relatively, the plot is easy to follow narratively within its own universe. And the stuff that isn't is kind of explained through the eyes of the character, literally. So yes. yeah. They have kind of done that with what became the Ethan Winters, the Winters saga. You know, it it was to try and create a new narrative that still fit within the world, but wasn't beholden directly to it.
4: I almost wish they'd never bothered numbering the Revelations titles. If they'd just given them the full name of Resident Evil Revelations and then a subtitle, yeah. Or Resident yeah.
2: Evil Revelations was just Revelations, and Revelations Two was just called something else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, more, you should... more Revelations.
1: More. I think.
4: I think to be honest, yeah. Capcom talked why they called Village Village, and I think a lot of that is down to the fact that they don't want that baggage.
6: Moving into position.
0: Copy. I've got a clear view of you from the sky.
6: Great. Maybe you can help me find a clear route to the CIA drop-off. Looks like they're doing some serious renovations down here.
0: Listen to me carefully, Leon. Your mission has been aborted. The U.S. is going to pull out of the country.
6: What? I just got here after taking me off furlough and sending me to this godforsaken place? What the hell?
0: Washington and the government there have decided to go their separate ways so everyone has to leave, not just the embassy staff. All American citizens have been ordered to evacuate the country.
6: I don't give a damn about the politics got confirmation that BOWs are being used in this war if we don't stop them now the same will happen everywhere else do you really want to see that
0: this is a war and things are different no one can do anything without the backup of the American government not even you
6: well then I guess my only option is to lose my American citizenship for a while Leon she can tell him I got lost and missed my flight
1: At the same time as Revelations 2, at least Claire's Element, you've got damnation going on, and you can hear a little clip of the radio currently in Revelations 2. You can hear some propaganda from the Eastern Slav Republic. Yeah, we've got damnation going on, which is another... Which are the second, obviously, CGI film production. Probably one of the better ones, at least, in terms of visuals, I think.
5: It's my favourite CG film. Your favourite still? Yeah. I think it's a clever little story. It's very political. I like the fact that plagas have been reintroduced. And I like the idea of a new Plaga variant programmed deliberately with a flaw. So whoever takes the control Plaga over time, it'll take you over. I like that sort of Trojan horse concept. Um, I think it has the best
2: action in them, too. I think that isn't so overblown, but is enough. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's the first time, both the first time chronologically, because it's obviously 2011, but also because it came out just before Resident Evil 6 in 2012. It's the first time we actually see bioorganic weapons in a kind of war zone scenario and actually being used for the purpose of what they are, you know, Desi- supposed to designed be designed for. for. Yeah, mm. Mm. I think RE6 did it better, but there is no doubt that one of the best scenes in the entire series is of the two tyrants hurtling down the street. It's brilliant, <laughs> and <laughs> All the liquors fighting the tyrant. Um, summary of Damnation: As so, we've got Leon going on a, on a mission. There's a civil war going on in the made-up country of the Eastern Slav Republic, um, and we've got Svetlana Belakova as president, and she wants to align herself, doesn't she, with is it
5: NATO or the EU? Yeah, she wants to join the European Union. But obviously the resistance want independence completely. So there's a civil war going on and she actually supplies the resistance fighters with this new plague and the liquors to use against her own forces because she's wanting to frame them as bioterrorists because she thinks that will help them be accepted into the uh, international community when they eventually end this war. And Leon is sent there because the government have got intelligence that BLWs are possibly involved.
2: So it's the and same Trojan horse thing of using the bad guys to justify action. You're a ginger you're trying to push across.
5: Yeah, and then obviously you've got Ada in the mix because she's wanting to see what this new Plaga variant is all about for her new employer who's possibly Derek Simmons, but I still don't think he is Derek Simmons.
1: It certainly is Derek Simmons, but I don't know what happened in production. It's clearly supposed to be. In the same way it's clearly supposed to be Spencer in Umbrella Chronicles, until it isn't.
3: Oh, the old guy in the back of the helicopter? Yeah, 100% supposed to be Spencer. Oh, that's supposed to be him, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: But yeah, we, I like Damnation. I, I think it's good fun. It's not not a bad political storyline. I'm not sure Ada was necessary for the actual storyline myself. I think they just put her in because... Neither of the box art for the fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what that is.
3: I can tell you that now. So all the Ada fans are going be like, Oh, look, it's our queen. There she is. So that's kind of going on, and then Revelations 2 kind of picks up again six
1: months later. And this is always quite weird, because this is supposed to be the twist, isn't it? Because you're not really told in Barry's storyline that it is six months later. The idea being that you're kind of like, I think it's implied that you're kind of there at the same time, and it's not until you get to the yeah, end of the Yeah, or shortly after, Yeah. Yeah, and you get to the end of chapter one that you realise, oh, this was recorded six months ago.
3: Dum-dum-dum.
1: You know, and and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And um, I think the best thing is the fact that the afflicted, the zombies become the rotten i think that's such a really simple simple idea that all the enemies in theory that claire puts down kind of come back again in corpse form if you like as the rotten. i think that was just a really cool really cool idea before we start barry's there's a couple of other things isn't there you've got the struggle and little miss games i've honestly i'm gonna hold my hands up i've never played them
6: lived on this island I will die on this island here with Irina <laughs>
0: you don't have to
6: I do have to but not you you have whole life ahead of you <sighs> it's
0: Moira Me, my fucking name for once, you dinosaur.
6: You should wash mouth out with soap,
0: Moira.
6: <laughs> and my name is Euphigeni.
5: The struggle is wonderful. I mean, it's just like a little bonus game, really. You're just essentially just hunting rabbits. But it carries quite a big emotional impact. Um, yeah. You know, the relationship between Moira and Evgeny is uh, is really good. It's quite emotional. You definitely should give it a go. Mm.
4: The, um, the scene at the end of it where Moira has to say goodbye to Evgeny, I, I genuinely believe is one of the best acted scenes in the entire series like moira is is astonishingly powerful in that scene
5: yeah she is very good and little miss is basically just another mini game really and it's all about alex wesker's consciousness trying to take over natalia's you know she's trying to break inside but natalia sort of holds her own and then it culminates with her seeing barry's boat arriving at the island
1: I don't know why I've avoided them. So the thing is,
4: in the years since um, Little Miss has had kind of like a weird spiritual successor in Shadows of Rose, because some of the imagery mm. is nearly lifted. I was um, about to say that with uh, I... you know Rose having a shadow sister as such in the form of her you know abused clones or whatever.
6: Body.
0: Supposed to win this game of Tug of War! But there's still plenty of time to get under your skin. And next time, you won't see me coming.
1: Barry's side of Revelations 2 it's quite interesting. Um, you know, you've got basically a, a newer version of Lucia being able to kind of pinpoint B.O.W.s and you go around and it all culminates with Barry getting annoyed that there's another a she Wesker, as Izzy uh, as likes to call her. And, um, you know, the, some of the imagery is fantastic. Um, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because we're kind of talking about the kind of lore points, but, you know, towards the end uh, in the mansion kind of element and the underground kind of cabins with all the dolls and the candles, it's absolutely brilliant. It's just such a weird storyline at the end. With as, as I said earlier, it's so hard to work out exactly what is going on, and it kind of ends with if you choose the right ending, you get Natalie X, if you want to call it that, X. So the question, I suppose, I'll, I'll put open to everyone: Do we think the Alex Wesker storyline, which was obviously teased, in, you know, essentially in two thousand and nine or ten, was that a suitable way? Could they, should they, have kept Alex Wesker alive as a potential ongoing villain?
0: Wesker. She's so scary. I can't stand her.
6: Who? The woman here with Wesker?
0: That is Wesker. Alex Wesker.
6: Two Weskers. You gotta be shitting me.
1: We've spoken a lot about. Bear in mind, this game came out in
3: what, 2015? I I think. I think they'd already had their fill of Wesker because of Albert Wesker this long. I think adding another Wesker in there would be too close to what came before. And they probably wanted something fresh and new and different. But they also need to just wrap up the Alex Wesker hot thread, get that out of the way and done, and then we can move on to whoever our next big bad is going to be. The problem
2: is they haven't. They've left left us weird, open-hanging endings.
4: That, to me, was the grand irony of... Revelations 2 was the fact that they'd been given this Alex Wesker anvil that they had to deal with and they go okay absolutely we'll we'll deal with it and um, they did it so effectively they killed her off in the same game she's probably introduced in and this has been the staple of every villain that's occurred in the series since.
2: Well the interesting thing about this is that we are moaning about this one and done villain but they did actually leave an open door for this villain to essentially continue to exist in another form but it's done in a way that you're kind of why did you do that? You might as well just killed her off. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically. Yeah, so but, Nat- Natalex,
4: as we call yeah. it, as she's effectively known, um, could resurface again at some point, ladies and gentlemen. But
2: It would have been interesting to connect that with this mold network thing and having basically alex in this new form realizing that maybe even an even better thing is to extend her reach by being able to extend her abilities through a connected network like the mold and tying those two things together it's always possible i'm just saying because <laughs> that would be an interesting narrative spread to go how can i continue to live i'm going to have to transfer from person to person can i find something that will continue to exist and be uh, a, a conscious and and the, and the mold is definitely something like that so i
1: just can't see a scene in resident evil nine where suddenly we're going to turn around and some creatures going to emerge and go it is I Alex Wesker and every person is going to go who It's not.
2: (laughs) It would have needed to be another Revelations title at this point, if they're going to continue the story, but then it's like, as Sean alluded to earlier, the first Revelations and the second Revelations, if you played them as just a franchise, you you wouldn't see the connective tissue. So (laughs) the third one even was a continuation. It may not have been, had they gone down that route, it might have been another story with another villain and another outbreak and another set of characters, some returning,
5: Mm. some new.
1: Who dies? Batman, how did you think they handled Alex Wesker in the end? Were you happy with it or a bit annoyed?
5: I think they made the right decision to kill Alex Wesker off, although at the time it was disappointing because I think if they were going to establish a new villain, I think she was going to be our best bet. But I agree with John's point. I think having another Wesker running around and leading the antagonist side of the series might have been confusing for some people. But the whole storyline of her essentially trying to kill herself and transfer her consciousness across, I hated that at the time. And Mm. I know the series has taken a bit of a crazy route recently with molds and realms of consciousness so it maybe doesn't seem quite as daft looking back but it's certainly not the road i would have gone down with
2: it my thing as well is like as i said earlier even when i saw the alex wesker thing in five i kind of was thinking it was going down that kind of cheesy soap opera route and even then it still kind of does by going down this idea of like we have to replace the villain with a similar villain with the same name but not quite the same, enough to make a twist, and so yeah, I I agree with both of you on that front.
1: Right, 2012 a massive year for Resident Evil out of universe and of course the start of the Resident Evil podcast, far more important, but in universe universe, it's not quite as action-packed, should we say and we're, we're now treading into very dangerous territory, ladies and gentlemen it's the start of Umbrella Corps, the experiment. From a law-building point of view, there's quite a lot going on. So the experiment is the single-player campaign um, that you play as 3A7. The implication is that the Umbrella Corps are mercenary groups sent into previous biohazard areas, such as Resident Evil 4's village, the um, South Pole Terminal, replicas of the mansion as well as the an, an RPD and things like that. And they are basically doing the paramilitary work Testing weapons such as like the zombie jammer and things like that. It's pretty much implied that the Umbrella Corps that have the Umbrella logo are still part of Blue Umbrella. They are the naughty wing, naughty boys, if you like, of blue umbrella and they are going against their UN protocols and sanctions that are in place. I don't think it's 100% confirmed but it's more or less confirmed and that's led by someone called the executive. But the interesting point and I'm sure John will allude to a bit more is the fact that it's not just the umbrella corporation that are there. There's lots of other organisations involved including companies like Shenyar, and there's, there's loads of others. We've got them actually listed on, the, on, on our website under the encyclopedia section under other organisations so you can check them out. He knows so there's others but he can't pronounce the names. I'm
3: sure there's others
1: Yeah, there's lots of others You know, they're all there So the Umbrella Corps is almost like a nebulous title For all the kind of organisations that kind of go in And do the work And the experiment is basically this one chap Who is being trained to become part of part of that group was my summary accurate?
5: Yeah, pretty much. Although I'm, I'm not entirely sure the Umbrella Corps is a unit per se. I think that's just a general term for basically everyone who goes into these quarantine zones yeah. to fight it out. But the experiment is basically just a mercenary going through all these tests, you know, testing out weapons and equipment that are used in later games in the series. Some of this equipment's used in Resident Evil 7. It's used in Heavenly Island. And it's basically to test out a new fighting style called Close Quarters quarantine combat which is basically something hunk devised apparently and it's all tailored to fighting in in quarantine zones against bioweapons and infected persons so basically training people up because blue umbrella think this is what the future of warfare is going to be but the crux of it all is basically just testing these new weapons and equipment again which alludes back to Wesker's research these anti bow guns that turn up in later games and that we see the BSA are equipped with in in Resident Evil Village.
3: I have a curious question. Do you think Hunk is like either in charge of Blue Umbrella or part of Blue Umbrella?
5: Well, there was rumours that Hunk is actually the character you play in the experiment, because after a certain amount of levels, the researchers decide, right, he's starting to get a bit too good, he's starting to know a bit too much, we need to try and kill him off here. But he just keeps surviving and surviving until eventually they start calling him the Grim Reaper. So it's kind of hinted, but not confirmed, that it might actually be Hunk himself.
1: Mm. but overall i mean the the game itself is pretty shite but as i said this is the crux of where we're at with the kind of storyline now so it does have some i don't don't say overly important and i think when we did episode 67 where we kind of chatted about what's the you know the essential guide to biohazard what games do you need to play and build up to village you know umbrella corpse is the one where i kind of like i don't know i mean it's a lot of background lore that's probably not essential but it's quite interesting I think that's about as as highly as I'll praise Umbrella Corps
5: Yeah, it's all about the world building the game itself Mm. is bollocks
6: Mission report, I have some bad news
5: You will bring me good news or you will bring me your own obituary
0: My apologies sir, we failed
6: I don't need your excuses You are hereby terminated Sir, we've got it Good, now bring it to me
1: the rats are reporting successful retrieval of the samples. Good. Have them bring the samples to me at once. Sean, you played Umbrella Corpse a few times.
4: The identity of the executive can fuck itself forever. I'm not interested.
2: Do not concern yourself with things you cannot hope to understand.
4: <laughs> I find it comical, and I'm not meaning to offend anybody here, but I find it comical that some people still some what eight years later, nearly it will be eight years this year. Still linger upon this game like it's it's the key to some massive revelation <laughs> for Wesker in <laughs> this series. <laughs> no one played it, guys. Outside <laughs> of your core focused RE Featheran fandom, nobody played this game. And so, if you think they're going to start the foundations of bringing back one of the most famous video game villains of all time in a fucking two bit multiplayer shooter that disappeared as quickly as it arrived on the PlayStation Network and Steam then you are absolutely utterly deluded.
3: To be fair though Sean, didn't you and I play Sub Umbrella Core together for a we, bit? we we
4: played about 3 matches and it was okay. We I, had I, fun. i was trying to say it was okay but Did
3: we did we comment on how like nice the environments looked? Yeah,
4: and it's fine but <laughs> if we're talking about it from a lore point of view,
2: come on. Let's move
1: on then from Brother Corpse, also in
2: 2012. <laughs> Controversial yeah. as always, sorry, I just wanted and, to add. Yes,
1: yeah. Uh, another fan favourite of R. E. P. Mahara Desire. Oh, yes. Um, so this is what happened in 2012, which was, as I said earlier at the beginning, ironically, the first piece of new material that actually happened post-official release of RE5, if you know what I mean. So Mahara Desire went on and on and on and this was supposed to be a bit of a a prequel to i think we're still waiting on some news updates nick i'm sure we are i'm sure we are (laughs) Highly sought after now, of course, if you've got the complete collection in English. Mahara Desire, which was touted as the must-read prequel to Resident Evil 6. In terms of a summary, we are in uh, Southeast Asia somewhere, I think close to Singapore. We've got this very uh, prestigious university run by nuns, and it's just a stu- you know, student thing. And then Carla, the spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, Carla basically goes there to test out the C-virus and Nanan and Bindi try to escape. One of them's infected, becomes an early version of the Lepotitza, which in turn, as, as we know, which is the kind of gas ones that cause all the zombies to come out, and then that infects the student population, uh, and we follow Doug Wright and his nephew, Ricky Towser. It's just basically an excuse to have schoolgirls to be running around in a zombie-filled apocalypse. And it's not the best manga going it's got its moments chris turns up to investigate but i didn't like it as much as ironically heavenly island i thought heavenly island a little bit better
5: yeah it was a bit long-winded i think it was 50 issues in the end and probably could have told the same story in in half that at least but they had some decent elements it was nice you know to bring carla into things again You know, if we are talking about going through things chronologically, she's the closest we've got so far to a reoccurring villain. Yeah. Well, I suppose she's introduced in this, but reoccurring going forward. We get more of Pierce in this, so from following up from the stage, they're starting to really establish him now in the chronology going forward. Doug Wright, I thought, was quite a cool character as this advisor to the BSAA. I was quite upset when they killed him off fairly early on. Um, But yeah, quite a by-the-numbers story, really, for what is essentially just a a prototype test for the C-virus.
1: The only thing I did enjoy, and again, depending on the release schedule of it, Ricky's bitten quite early on. And so there's a belief that he's going to turn into a zombie, but then just doesn't. And so that's quite an interesting mystery, because there's zombies all around the place, and yet he's he's all right.
5: Well, that's a trait of the C-virus. We find that out in 6, that the virus isn't transmitted by bites. There's no secondary infection with the C-virus, and I think that was deliberately engineered to stop outbreaks from getting out of control. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting plot point as well, because it led to people thinking he was possibly immune, like mm-hmm. Jake was, but it turns out if you get bit by a C-virus zombie, it doesn't transmit the virus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing about 2012 is that we start getting the build-up for Resident Evil 6, which on the whole takes place in the following year, but we have the build-up to the Edonia Crisis. So this was the first bit of cool kind of biohazard warfare taking place, and uh, without a doubt probably my favourite part of RE6, because that obviously serves as a bit of a prelude to the Tall Oaks incident, which would take place uh, you know, in a, a year's time. So you kind of get that bit. Even though it's far more action orientated than I would like, it actually, as I said earlier, it kind of actually felt like what it was supposed to do. It felt like the most focused of the campaigns. And so it tells the story of, I think there's another civil war in Edonia, and there's the Edonian, oh, Johnny, is it the Liberation Force?
5: Yeah, the Liberation Army. <laughs> oh, close. Yeah, it's a very similar setup to Damnation. Mm. This time, the government are using BOWs provided by Carla to try and repel the resistance and obviously that leads to the bsaa being calling in again It's essentially another c virus test but the reason it's in edonia is because the family have identified a particular mercenary working there is the son of albert wesker and he potentially carries the same blood type as his father which makes him immune to most viruses and they want to get hold of him to make the c virus even stronger
1: yes the whole thing is framed around jake Now, I've always had a big issue with this because I never got the impression Albert Wesker was immune to viruses. I just thought he had special blood. Well, actually, I lie. I don't think he ever has special blood because it doesn't really allude to it in Resident Evil 5. The whole kind of Project W is not really about eugenics per se. It was just about finding the best of the best, but not through genetic manipulation or anything like that. It was just like, you know, finding, oh, he's got the highest IQ, he can be part of Project W. Uh, It's not a huge leap, but I always felt a little uncomfortable that Jake, I mean, Jake felt very shoehorned in anyway. The okay and I remember you, Batman, saying when I think we discussed on a very early podcast we talked to the leaks of RE6 and we shouldn't have done them, we're very naughty, but we, we spoke leaks and you said, Jake Muller this has to be a translation error, the son of Albert Wesker. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it can't be right, it can't be right. I just never got the impression that it would make him immune for viruses I just got the impression that he adapted particularly well to the T-virus because he was part of Project W, but I don't know, you, you could correct me on that.
5: Well, yeah I mean, obviously, his blood certainly had a role to play in the fact that he was able to uh, adapt to the t-virus when most people didn't yeah. But you're, you're right resident evil 6 was the first time it was mentioned that he was specifically immune to most viruses mm. um and jake the whole idea of jake just sounds utterly ridiculous but testament to capcom's writing he actually turned out to be a far better character than he had any right to be yeah 100% agree But the key part of the Adonia section is this is where Carla betrays Simmons because she abducts Jake and Sherry and then reports them as having died in the helicopter crash. So Jake and Sherry are now taken back to China where Carla will experiment on them for the next six months to make the C-Virus stronger and use them for Neo Umbrella, whereas Simmons is under the belief that Jake is now dead and his plans have been foiled. And he still has no idea at this point that Carla has turned on him.
6: (laughs) You know, those shots of yours one hell of a punch, lady!
0: So, you're
6: Wesker Jr. Wesker? He lost
0: me. Albert Wesker was a colossal imbecile. A fool who tried to destroy the world. He was also your father. What? Which makes you... Heir to a
1: very special blood type. And of course, Chris starts to suffer from PTSD after the event.
5: Yeah, I forgot to mention actually, I think it was in 2010 Chris decides to become a. A team leader rather than just an individual agent and I think we can all agree he's had varying degrees of success with that <laughs> um, and this is the first time he loses uh, his entire squad, uh, the first of many and he receives quite a serious head injury which causes him to suffer from amnesia and he actually goes missing discharges himself from hospital and goes MIA which I think is quite interesting because again it alludes to PS possibly taking over because Piers becomes acting captain of Alpha Team going forward because in the first sort of six months of 2013 they start to lose hope that chris will ever come back so again it's building and pierce up to possibly take over chris's mantle
1: now sean you're a big advocate of re6 of course it's just amusing isn't it you've got great character interactions and yet we've got a real basic preschool amnesia storyline plus randomly inserted son of the biggest villain it's, it's so amateur but actually some of the interactions are really good.
4: Well I want to do a shout out as well for Chris Redfield everybody because um what are we up to 2012 2013 and this timeline, yep. and uh you know got a legacy a history of putting his life on the line to save all these people, and then when he becomes a misguided soul, absolutely no one's fucking there for him at all for six months. He just he goes he falls completely off the grid. Where's Jill? Where's Claire? Where, where, where are they all? Where are all the people that, you know, owe Chris a favour? Chris <laughs>
1: climbed a mountain
5: in South America. <laughs> Sheva cares. Sheva sent an email.
3: So, oh, gosh, I'll we'll be doing okay, sweetie. Uh, take care now. Bye. And that's it. That's <laughs> the only thing she gets sent.
4: I'm still in the hope that at some point Capcom will do their retroactive storytelling wizardry and uh, retcon Jake into being Alex's son. Ooh. Because one of the biggest plot points in the series I just can't comprehend is the fact that Wesker... And I'm basing most of this on Wesker's Report 2's entries. I just can't believe that Wesker ever got down and dirty with with somebody. At the very least, if they're not going to necessarily wreck on him into being Alex's son, at least manage to find a way that makes him more genetically engineered than the victim of a one-nighter or whatever. Because if you read Wesker's Report 2, the Wesker that writes those entries... Cares nothing at all. In fact, he even ponders how, at one point, certain individuals can even contemplate having a life like Birkin, because he himself can't see him in that role of being, you know, having these emotional connections or anything like that. So the notion that he just goes out on a random one night stand on Raccoon City, it, to me, it's just nonsense.
3: What if it's and... actually not like a biological son in the traditional sense? What if it was like something that was like. Like a clone, perhaps, or... That
4: would be more plausible than him just being a offspring of Wesker, for sure.
3: I'd agree with that. Or we'll make him a son um, of Alex Wesker, she said.
4: The only reason it works is because we're told it works. It's forced upon us as an audience. Hmm. And I think the entire thing was done so Jake Mueller, Jake Wesker, can pair up with Sherry Birkin and it can be the Birkin and Wesker saga again. And I like that. In one sense, I like the, the symbolism of it if you if you will. You know, and oh, everybody okay. knows well, so. about how much I love Sherry in this game, and I like Jake in this game, but the mm. connection between Jake and Wesker is it is, is the weak link.
1: Do we think uh, Sherry I, Birkin's return was successful, though, Sean? Sherry,
4: I think, is the one. If we're talking about her as a character, when she was first announced, and everybody thought she was actually coming back, which is an, a story from another time, but when Sherry Birkin was announced as a you know as an agent, as a as a fighting character, I thought, oh my god. What have they done? You know, this is just so ridiculous. But I have to hand it to the writers of Resident Evil 6. The level of care and consideration in the cutscenes, they sell that character absolutely 100%
2: I'm not mean to belabor a point that I keep mentioning but for me Resident Evil 6 is a what on the surface level and could easily have been a very soapy plot done very poorly but it's the character interactions and the dialogue that are it above what are very generic concepts.
4: Yeah absolutely and I think Sherry is the main benefactor of that. I I think she is one of the standouts of that game easily.
6: So, you always been like that? The whole healing thing?
0: My dad was a scientist. He was working on B.O.W.s when I was exposed. Luckily, I was treated with the vaccine before it was too late. But the virus adjusted and adapted. It's been a part of me ever since.
6: What happened to your father?
0: His research killed him. By the time he died, His body had mutated so much, he wasn't even recognizable.
6: i sorry. I didn't mean to...
0: That's alright. Besides, I didn't walk out of it empty-handed.
6: Yeah, you got superpowers.
0: That's not what I meant. The people who saved me, Leon and Claire, are the closest friends I've ever had.
6: Claire is a BSAA guy's sister, right?
0: They risked their lives for me back in Raccoon City. I guess I'm still just trying to live up to their example. Never giving up. No matter the odds.
1: I have to say, I never really got the impression, though, because, John, you mentioned that Jake and Sherry are captured. I never got the impression that they were there for six months. In the Chinese facility, wherever it was. You feel they're just going kind to of get up, and then, oh, you can go now.
5: Yeah, they choose a very opportune moment to escape, just as everything else is kicking off. Mm. It's kind of weird, because Adonia happens, and then we don't really get that much exposition You know, in the following six months to build up to the events in Tall Oaks and Langshang. It just kind of happens. Um, it would have been nice to get you know, I think there's a couple of files you know where Jake talks about being experimented on and how people keep asking him questions about Wesker and such things but we don't really get a lot of files telling us you know the background information that's that's another problem with this particular era of the storytelling you know in the raccoon city games we get so many different diary entries different perspectives from all different kinds of people explaining what's going on and, and we get very little of that in this particular era of the series we get plenty of supplemental material talking about overall world building but when it comes to the characters themselves you know we get very little of um, what's happening from their point of view
1: This brings us into 2013 and then obviously the continuation of Resident Evil 6 so that leads into the Tall Oaks incident and I think this is where 6 suffers from because this is where you kind of start your story really, most people you play with Leon
2: The original game forced you to play the opening with him and then play it in sequence order so you had to.
1: I would prefer it in chronological order I think that helps following it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we've talked about Adam Bentford already, so he was quite adamant and he was going to use Tall Oaks at the university to announce to the world how the US government are pretty much complicit in what happened at Raccoon City. And with the insertion of Infinite Darkness, we know just how much Leon kind of knew about it as well and was quite happy to keep it on the QT, which remains a really interesting point, actually, And in, in Claire's kind of horrified stance at Infinite darkness at the end. Just as, oh no, okay, you know, Leon's not quite the go-to poster boy, and I like that kind of element, doing a kind of greater good. But Is he, you know, is is that the right decision? But anyway, by the time 2013 rolls along, he's got Benford, who's going to announce to the world what's going on, and that puts... Derek Simmons in the frame as being public enemy number one and someone that helped facilitate the destruction of Raccoon City and of course his ongoing experimentation and again I think he kind of shares a similar role really to Lansdale as well as needing all this power and control and bioterrorism to kind of control the new world order I mean I personally hate family, but then I hate Metal Gear Solid 2 and the Patriots. The insertion of that I felt was completely unnecessary. Adding that extra layer of control and authority in my opinion ruined metal gear solid and if they'd continued with the family onwards as being this super omnipresent mythical organization that you know that has the chinese government in one hand and the u.s government in the other hand then you know, i would have bailed because i despise that storyline i like to keep it a, a very you know i don't mind governments being bad but having someone control it no no i, I find it completely implausible spoken
3: and, by someone who's never enjoyed the x-files i've never watched the x-files so. oh it's so good <laughs> so for me I, i'm
1: pleased they didn't like it but it was one part of re6 that i still find lamentable and unnecessary and i think that's that view has almost been validated by the fact that the family have never come back and i can't see them ever coming back at all
6: Bioorganic weapons are a global threat and we are partly to blame We have to come clean and start working with the rest of the world if we want to have any chance of fighting this. Whatever you decide, sir, I'm with you. I've always valued your friendship, Leon. It's time we take responsibility and end this mess.
1: So Tall Oaks was supposed to be the survival horror part of Resident Evil 6, but it's not really. It just slows it down to walking pace for lots of it. But it has got a shark in it, so that makes it mildly enjoyable. Although it is quite weird. What did everyone think then? So the kind of plot point of this is the whole point of Tall Oaks was a kind of counter to stop Benford revealing it and he obviously became a zombie, which is quite a cool shot, I have to say. You know, obviously infecting a president's quite a bold move. I think everyone would agree. Stimmons had the opportunity to potentially become the next recurring
5: villain. I think he's still my favourite poster as an Evil 5 villain. I just find it very compelling, and I'm not sure why, because if you play Resident Evil 6, it's, it's hard be in it at all. Yeah. You know, he's in a few cutscenes, there's a couple of files from his point of view, and you know, even throughout Ada's campaign, it's not actually him, it's, uh, it's Carla posing as him. So we see very little of him, really, but I just find him a really interesting character. I thought it was interesting how they retroactively made him the key decision-maker to bomb Raccoon City. And I kind of like the way this game ties back into elements from Resident Evil 3 with the whole US government Mm. versus Umbrella thing. I said in the Discord recently, I wish Remake 2 had name-dropped him in some of the files as the uh, US government official that was negotiating with Birkin to get the G-Virus out of the city. I thought that would have been really good. So I was very disappointed that, I know we're not quite there yet, but Simmons uh, is killed off. Very, very early. I would have liked to have seen him return in a future title.
4: Yeah, I agree. I, I think had you go beyond Wesker, then you, you know you you establish a villain in the U.S. government that even exactly the likes of Chris and Jill can't touch politically. Mm. You know? Yeah, um, they can't you know assault him with a vast arsenal or a martyr or anything like that. You know, yes, he was
3: like the President Morgan of Resident Evil.
4: Yeah. Absolutely,
3: and that's what's
1: very frustrating about six is that you've actually got potentially that conflict between Chris and Leon there. You know, cause mm. Leon's more U.S. government, and you know, you could have Chris going a bit right, right. We're taking down the U.S. government, and Leon's going, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, that kind of thing. So you've got potentially the you know the, the hallmarks of, of, that. of You
4: have, and it's, in um, in the the ending of Infinite Darkness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You see, with Claire, Claire. yeah, absolutely, and and yet they they have this almost artificial, you know, conflict with Ada. But, and again, they could could have made it, they could have tied it better. I don't know. I find the whole Ada and Carla storyline so unnecessary. There were tidbits of something actually really quite special that if they kept Simmons alive, you know, perhaps just arrested him or something like that, he could have had his influence from his own prison cell. I don't know.
3: I guarantee you someone like him, knowing what he did, I think he would have had, like, the Epstein issue happen with him. I think he would have been killed in prison most likely, by someone else because he knew too much. I just
1: think they could have kept him, you know, you could have had like a bit of a team up with him and Lansdale. (laughs) (laughs) That would be scary. And of course, if I remember, if I haven't um, played it for a while, if I remember correctly, don't we see him at the end of Leon's Champagne? He just like, hello, and then he becomes the God knows what.
5: Well, you got the whole subplot of him blackmailing Helena Harper into working oh, yeah. with him. He blackmails her into abandoning her post, which leaves Benford vulnerable, which is how he gets infected.
1: Yes, that was it, yeah. Cause it's the safety of Deborah, wasn't it, yeah the, yeah.
6: the President spoke highly of you, Agent Kennedy. Likewise told me you've been friends for 30 years. Tell me, is it true you were the only ones present at the time of his death? What are you saying?
3: Well, you
6: must be aware that you are both suspects in this attack. What? Agent Harper, at the time of the attack you had abandoned your post, leaving
0: the president vulnerable.
6: You must admit such behavior Suspicious. You son
0: of a bitch! You're the one who plans all this!
6: With what evidence could you base it? Such an outrageous accusation. I am the National Security Advisor. It's my job to... Prevent terrorist attacks, not cause them.
0: You liar! <sighs> if the two of you...
6: Feel so strongly about your innocence, then you should have no problem turning yourselves in.
1: What did Resident Evil 6 do to the storyline I mean if the aim of Capcom was for Resident Evil to go global then I think it kind of achieved that and with the general plan of Neo Umbrella with the Haos world infection because Haos is basically a giant lepetitsa That the idea was it was just going to swim across the oceans and then just spread the virus and it's very similar to Uroboros in that sense wasn't it it was just that Wesker was going to use missiles and she was going to use a B.O.W. it's the same same sort of idea
5: it's just a shame the game completely anti climaxes in the- the final act you know the build-up is really good you get a proper sense of urgency throughout the game i went through it recently for another project and when you go through it chronologically and you listen to all the radio conversations and you can pinpoint exactly where the characters are and what they're doing at that particular moment it's so good but the final third of the game after simmons is injected and carla is killed it just drags on and on and just becomes completely anticlimactic and then capcom should they have killed ps off no. You know, should Chris have had his happy ending and walked off into the sunset and Pierce yes. taken over? As much as I like Chris, I sometimes do wish Capcom had had the balls to do that.
4: I think RE7's ending would have landed incredibly well if the helmet was lifted and it's, I'm Piers Nivens. Yeah, definitely. Because that would feel like the true, I'm the hero now, I'm your Chris Redfield for the series going forward.
1: Yeah, you could have had a whole storyline of him not believing he's good enough to be Chris Redfield. You know
4: That could have been the entire Not a Hero campaign. It's even exactly. worse into the title, Nick.
3: I know, look at this. I don't think I'm a hero like Chris because... Yeah. I oh, know. it's even that was a double meaning. Fucking hell.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Why
3: don't we work for Capcom? <laughs> hey, Catastrophe, if you're listed, put us on the writing team. <laughs> yeah, it's a but, shame
1: the interactions with Pierce at the end. It's a good moment. I just wish he was cured. Yeah. You know, I, I don't see why they couldn't have had something similar. You know, if you wanted him infected, just so he could do the you know do his electrical arm. It, thing. It's a
4: hard ask of any character to challenge your hero of the series as hard as Pierce does. Yes, uh, he does, and that he comes out and you actually sit there and go, Pierce is all right in my book. Mm. It's testament to how well they've written him.
5: Yeah, I must admit, I'd forgotten just how good some of the scenes are between him and Chris in the game. In the midway point when Chris really starts to lose it and they almost have a fight, you know, Pierce is really good at reeling him in. I do wonder if Capcom's decision to kill off Pierce in this is why Jill wasn't Chris's partner. Uh, Oh, maybe. You know, I can only assume they invented Pierce because they knew they were going to kill him off. Otherwise, Jill would have been there. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. It'd also been interesting because they could have had the opportunity to then develop further Pierce games if they were still a bit unsure as to whether, you know, he'll he'll resonate with the fans. You could have had a spin off.
4: So I just think to a version of RE Village where, you know, Ethan's obviously been killed off. It cuts to the Jeep and it's Piers. And Piers jumps out and leads the. How wolf squad it'd just be awesome i wouldn't be feel sad about that piers running through the village just kicking ass it'd be ace the be only legend. thing you don't get is the spencer connection in the law room and that's it
5: yeah but this is where i think capcom lost the bottle a little bit because post resident evil 6 we had all these characters established we had pierce we had jake we had sherry you know we had moira i think these characters could have been the future instead of just going back to the same old cast.
3: Yes. Like the Rise Skywalker. Back to the Skywalkers, everyone. (laughs) Never leave the Redfields. I
4: mean, I could wax lyrical about this, you know, because it ties into the thing we said we're not going to talk about. And I'm not going to go down that tangent, but it's a reversion back to familiarity instead of yeah. embracing something new. And that's where Resident Evil is at the minute, is it is so happy to retread steps we've done before because it gives people those classic characters. You know, why would you make a brand new Resident Evil game with, you know, Sherry or, you know, Sherry and Moira doing a game together or, you know, I've seen I've seen some fans speculate. Why not have Sherry and Rose together because they're both sort of superhuman and the female leads. Yeah, it'd be a great game. But no, we'll, we'll just go back and retell a story we've already had because that's what will sell. And it. I understand that from a financial point of view, but... I'm not. I'm not going.
1: No. no. But, but yeah.
4: You know where I stand on it. I just. I know. Yeah.
1: So the post RE because obviously RE six has Tall Oaks and the Lanchang incident, and then you know, we've kind of briefly touched upon how that ended. So the, the scenario at the end. I mean, we finishes what with Jake and his Apple. But I mean, what fundamentally changes in terms of the law? What does the world look like post RE six? We've had you know two near world ending bioterrorism incidents with Wesker and now Carla. Are the US government completely clear? I don't think anything actually particularly nasty happens to them. Do they just cast off Simmons as a bad egg, you know, that they got away with? I don't know. There doesn't appear to be many repercussions from it.
5: No, it's mentioned in the files that basically the research materials Air finds in her campaign she leaves to Leon. And Leon hands them over to the inquiry or whatever happens, the investigation at the end. And that material clears Helena's name, basically just sets up Simmons and the family as the bad guys. Nothing much is mentioned. Again, it just highlights the dangers of bioterrorism. R.E. Net says Langshang has a population of approximately 4 million and well over 2 million of those died in the incident. So it just goes to show that, you know, bioterrorism is getting out of control and nobody's doing anything about it. Which is putting more pressure on the likes of the BSAA to turn to people like Blue Umbrella for their tech and their weapons.
1: But it's strange that we've often lamented the fact that Terra Grision never gets a mention in terms of like world defining events. You know, a whole city is basically destroyed by the sun. But, you know, whatever. We'll worry about racking city only, and this goes back to kind of brand association as well, what I spoke at the beginning. But, you know, don't think Lang Shang's ever been mentioned post Resident Evil
5: 6 come out. It gets a nice little mention in the Vendetta novel, which, uh, right. in, in, in a scene which, well, it's it's basically the first draft screenplay, isn't it? And, and I yeah. can't understand why this was cut out, because it goes some lengths to explain why Leon is the way he is in Vendetta. You know, he says he, he's gone back to his job post-RE6 and he just doesn't trust anyone in the government you know he can't look the new president in the eye he thinks everyone's a member of the family he doesn't trust anyone and he just can't deal with it anymore and he has a nice conversation with Chris, and Chris confides in him about how he wanted to quit the BSAA because he just couldn't do it anymore. And they basically agree that they're tarnished by what happened in Raccoon City. It's something they've got to live with, and ultimately that's why neither of them can quit. Because if they quit, they'll be letting everyone, you know, all their colleagues from the previous games who died, they'll be letting all them down. So that's the only sort of post-RE6 mention of of what People happened of Langshan. in Langshan, but it would have been nice if that was kept in the film.
1: I was gonna say that would have been a really good introduction in Vendetta. And we kinda of get it a bit in Death
3: Island, I suppose. That you know, would be that... cool. That idea you said there of like, oh, you can't trust this new president or who could be a member of the family. I know Nick would you would disagree with me on this one, but I think the idea of keeping the family around in the background. As a passive threat, and then having this more conspiratorial kind of thing of like, I can't trust anyone because someone might be working for this family, you know, for this group, and all that kind of stuff. Like, that'd be really neat to do. Maybe like make it a bit like Hydra. Yeah, definitely. Like Hail Hydra sort of stuff. Mm. Absolutely.
1: This does bring us on nicely to the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. So, everyone's favorite CGI film, Resident Evil Vendetta, mm-hmm. uh, and the creation of the A virus. The interesting thing, of course, in, in Vendetta is that. They describe Glen Arius as picking up the mantle where Neo Umbrella and Tricell left off. But A-virus, John, enlighten us. <laughs> oh,
5: <laughs> it's... God. Really, it's just an enhanced T-virus, but it's the delivery system that makes it unique. The base virus that turns you into a zombie is laced in drinking water, so it infects millions and millions of people. But that latent virus always remains dormant. It needs to be triggered By the second component, which is spread in aerosol form. So if you breathe this trigger virus in, when you've already got the latent virus inside you, it will turn you into a zombie. And then the third stage is the vaccine. And the vaccine, it carries genes from the plaga. And that is... How the zombies distinguish friend from four. You know, if you've previously been inoculated with the A virus vaccine, it acts as like a genetic marker, so any zombies who are infected with it won't attack you because it recognizes you as one of them, so to speak. It thinks you're another infected, so it won't attack you. Because as we know, Ganados, people infected with the Plaga, unlike zombies, they don't attack each other. So it acts as a genetic marker that will stop you being attacked by another A-virus infectant. And that's obviously what makes Arius's virus stand out from the rest, in terms of being a marketable bioweapon rebecca tries to nullify that by creating her own vaccine which is successful in the sense that it stops you from turning into a zombie but because it doesn't carry any traits from the plaga it means even though you're vaccinated the other zombies will still attack you if that makes sense
1: and we have this bizarre scene of course where it can be reversed and you can become unzombified yeah that's just bollocks (laughs) sorry about that chap did i just take a chunk out of your? arm well the less said about vendetta itself but rob how do you feel vendetta kind of like
2: i was just gonna make a comment of like oh i've just got a part of your finger stuck in my teeth (laughs) um I really didn't enjoy it. Like, I enjoyed the elements of it, but from a plot and villain perspective, I really didn't. And I think I've made this very clear, as we've discussed it in the past, That just and I don't mean this because I made the whole Looney Tunes thing. He's a bit of a cartoon pantomime villain in some respects, and the intent at the start seems right, but they're just kind of, yeah, I don't know.
1: And I think what makes it worse, really, was the fact that, Again, we know a bit about the background when it comes to the CGI films, but it's another one and done with a little bit of towards... Oh, it's got Plaga in it. All right, go on then. And they are constantly looking... And this is a trait of all these CGI films that have the kind of T-virus in it. They're always looking for a reason why these zombies can run and jump and do something that normal T-virus zombies cannot. I feel like it goes even beyond that.
2: It's the number of various virus variants, (laughs) trying to say that without getting tongue twisted. It's that that every time in order to justify this, we have to create a new version of a virus. And it's kind of like what Bats was talking about before with the A-virus, where you have to have, it's a twist or on something already existing, but it has a a change. And usually it is plot driven in order to to either justify a a mutation or a, a, a movement of the zombies or a creature change, and it inevitably ends up either being something completely random and batshit, or a combination of previous viruses, or Plaga, or whatever it is, into some sort of new form. I mean, the CG films are not alone in this, obviously, but it is something that's become harder and stretches more credibility the more it goes on, because at first you're kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, you're combining these two things To create something new but now it's like every time there's uh, so many permutations and so many variations in this that it kind of starts to lose its luster if that makes sense
1: 100% 100%
6: agree is that it is that the virus that's making everyone flip out yes it keeps getting worse and worse attacks are happening all over the place where'd you get this I haven't seen this footage before
0: it hasn't been released yet they don't want the public to panic
6: are you kidding me there's been like 20 attacks in the u.s already
0: the bsaa is working to keep it under control but but it'll just keep happening till we find the cause and stop it right exactly this is being done intentionally
1: This was one of the first instances as well where we kind of see fusion, which obviously creeps up again in Death Island because doesn't old Glenn merge and fuse with Diego to create Redfield
5: Tyrant? It's all a bit weird. Yeah, it's a pretty forgettable film overall.
3: The best part of the film is that stupid point-blank gunfight between (laughs) Chris and Arius, where it's like just gun guitar stuff. That's amazing. The whole of
1: New York is nearly infected. We've got a silly rail cannon going off, going, whoopsie, I've just taken down 500 skyscrapers with one single blast, (laughs) sorry.
5: If you think about it, The infection in New York is like the biggest event in the series and it happens in like the last 10 minutes of the film and it's done and dusted. Again, the novel goes into so much more detail. You know, the National Guard are called, all the NYPD have been wiped out, the United Nations building's been turned into an emergency shelter. There's all these cool extra details and there's just none of it in the film.
1: It's a shame. Right, sticking with 2014, we're zipping through. We have the beginning of Resident Evil Heavenly Island, which is the second original canon manga, which is set in this time. Interestingly, with Heavenly Island, you pick up the first kind of issues, you think, okay, we're not dealing with anything particularly intelligent or clever here. It's basically Love Island, but with zombies. Zombie beach party. Zombie beach party, that is exactly what it is. Big-breasted women ended up on an island and they all get one by one killed off and turned into zombies, and you're going, this is really, really
3: shit. It's very trashy.
1: This is the thing. A lot of people dismissed it, and for absolutely good reason, because it, it just felt like a bit... Uh... Actually, get beyond that. It's really good. It is a really good, interesting survival of the fittest style storyline with what's called the Kodaku plan. And the, whether there's a new virus, we've, for the website, we've just put the Kodaku virus because there looks to be slightly different things. But you've got amazing amount of connections to Umbrella Corpse. You've got the Shenya Pharmaceutical Company. They're back using zombie jammers. Parker is back. Claire's back on another island because she just can't help herself. The island is the Lost in Nightmares island not the kind of sane island from Revelations 2. You've got hunters are in it, make a random appearance towards the end, and you've just got the idea that is first started in resident evil survivor because if you read the files and survivor when creating the hypnos tyrant is all about the survival of the fittest genes in order to create you know a better tyrant this is all about infecting people and having them fight them and tweaking viruses based on the i think it's the blood and or brain serums i think from the victors and then putting that into other people to eventually get the ultimate creature which was set in motion by alex wesker and then she kind of left the island and then John, I can't remember the name of the person that did all the experiments.
5: Dirk Miller, another great name, who is obviously based on Christopher Walken, if you look at his art in the comic.
1: Yes, he does all these experiments. And then you've got a spy from Shenyar called Zilly, and she she infects herself and she becomes this weird kind of, another spider type, random creature mutation. But it's actually a really good storyline, and, and the investigations into it by Claire and Parker and stuff like that. But it's is good, isn't it, John?
5: Yeah, it's it's really good. And unfortunately, it's one of these lost storylines, really, because it's, it's the only piece of canonical material that's never been officially translated into English. No,
1: it's had German treatment, hasn't it?
5: Yeah, so that's pretty poor, really, considering this particular story is basically the connective tissue for everything we've been talking about tonight, because it has connections to pretty much every game in this particular era. There's a little cameo by Chris in there, who's back as Alpha Team Captain now after leaving the Silver Dagger once Glen Arius was killed. Brown Anderson, who's a survival expert for the Idol Survival TV crew and he was a former BSAA member who fought in Resident Evil 5 and Kajuju. I presume he was a member of Josh's team, and he survived, and he found that experience so harrowing that he quit. So that's a little connection to Resident Evil 5 as well.
1: You're a fan, Sean? Um,
4: yeah, when I um, first started reading it, I was a little bit like you've described Nick, thinking i God, what what have I picked up here? I don't need to see this filth. I, <laughs> I just want my Resident Evil fix. But what it eventually amounts to is a entry into the lore that references so many, or not necessarily references, but brings about aspects of different titles. So you've got Parker from Revelations. You've got Claire. You've got the zombie jammers mm. from Umbrella Core. You know, just featured in the material. You've got an entire unit from, I want to say, is it Shen Yaa?
1: Shen Yaa uh, yeah. The
4: attack the island. All their soldiers are using the zombie jammers from Umbrella Corps. You've got Claire finding a reference to Spencer. You know, she finds a book with Spencer's photo in it. You know, and you get this little moment. All this is within this manga, and it's just so frustrating in so many ways. As good as it is that it exists, it's frustrating that we have something that has so much cohesive tissue to the rest of the series, and it's a manga that no one's ever read, at least in the West. Unless you actively seek it out, all of this is lost. It's a moot point. Again, it goes back to saying what we've been saying, you know, what's underlined the bigger problems of this retrospective tonight, is that the connective tissue is the supplementary material that people in the west aren't aware of unless you've heard it here or you've been on you know your websites that you're familiar with and it shouldn't be like this it shouldn't you know heavenly island shouldn't be lost as such but i appreciate why it is because of the you know the taste and unfortunately the direction that earlier issues go through make it not as marketable in other territories
3: i'm thinking they could like and it's not going to happen, but it'd be cool if it did happen. If they make an anime version of it, of the manga, yeah, put it'd that really out there, that'd yeah. be awesome, I'd watch that.
4: The thing is, some of the issues actually do carry full colour, like, anime-style art for the characters, and there's a really amazing couple of renders of um, Claire that, you know, she, she looks like, an anime character that could lead a series from that cover art, you know, you would tune into that every week because it would be awesome.
3: We need a Resident Evil anime. Yeah. That would be like every week or whatever, just put it out there. I would watch that I would 100% watch that, and I know anyone listening here. There's a lot of people listening who would definitely watch that as well.
1: So that is absolutely something to pick up in what happens in the year 2014. But interestingly, we're going to move away from praising connectivity to beginning what I would call the the soft reboot era. For in 2014, the mold storyline actually begins at this point with the connections. So you kind of end on a high with so many connectivities to lots of different you know, eras, with you know, you say revelations and. What not? I know, I know. I can't help it. This is, this is what happens. This is what well, happens this...
4: talking about the connections, but the connections has a direct reference to RE5.
3: It does, yeah. The certain individual who was As working it... in Africa at the time.
4: Yeah. <laughs> what, well, Nick? When we look back at it retrospectively, this is not the perfect lead through. No. Because it doesn't
3: make any sense. <laughs> so why are it?
4: Brandon Bailey's dead but this in terms of the canon and your law is the connective lead through. Brandon Bailey is the name that carries.
1: He's becoming a meme, I have to be honest. You know, just insert Brandon Bailey. It's ridiculous. But I mean generally this is where it all sets off. You know, and we have another new organization, another new virus for better term. And the discovery of and experimentation of the Mega Massite, you know, and its mutant mesite kind of offspring, if you want to call it that. And the creation of Evelyn or E one and Miranda's random plan as well.
4: It is worth caveating that whilst all this lore with Umbrella and Spencer and Wesker and all this and Alex Wesker and all this is going on, that in a random village in what we assume to be Romania, we've got werewolves, which is Vampires. Yep. An umbrella logo that existed decades before. And they just sat there in their isolated bubble, not
1: affecting the rest of the world at all until buying and selling wine to the yeah. outside world. And they go, <laughs> it makes
4: <laughs> it, it's complete and utter nonsense.
1: <laughs> it really it
4: is. It really is. That all this was you know, that you know, immortality's been basically achieved already. Yep. In this little village.
3: Yeah, got it, got the t shirt. Didn't tell anyone about it
4: and spencer knows about it but i'm on my fucking deathbed but i'm not even going to bother yeah. with it because you know i've got my own principles
3: it's like oh but this thing could save you know it's it's this mold kind of thing it's like no i i refuse the mold i disagree with the mold but it will save you no 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 i have viruses in the way like you're an idiot <laughs> like, you, know, like, you prideful stubborn fool
4: and again Biggest problem with retroactive storytelling is the fact that, you know, underneath this village in Romania is this mega thing, this mould that you're about to talk to us about. Yeah. That undermines everything that we've talked about in the past three hours.
1: And it's a shame because if you ignore Village, so the build-up to Seven is, is is a little bit more believable, should we say. But we've still got a new organisation called The Connections, who we now know is founded by Brandon Bailey for some inexplicable reason. The Connections work with HCF. Rob's already told us about how he still finds that unbelievable to this day, and I completely agree with him, that have used you know parts of eva's dna and the mutamocyte to create evelyn and this is a new form of bioterrorism of being able to create humans from mold and send them in and then infect them and You've got the beginnings of that experimentation and transporting Evelyn away. I'm not sure where she was. It must have been. It must have been Germany, but she must have, because she was in Munich, wasn't it, when it was made? And then they must have transported her to America.
5: The BSA were going to raid the connection search queue in Munich, so they smuggled Evelyn onto this LNG tanker along with Mia, who is her handler. And obviously, Eveline gets loose, causes havoc, causes the ship to crash, which triggers the events of Resident Evil 7. The BSAA are essentially to blame for all this, because they failed to capture her in the first place. And they decide to cover all this up, which sows the seeds for their sort of corruption plot going into Village, which is documented in the Baker report. But we get that nice little playable section on the ship set in October 2014, where Mia chases uh, Eveline down and then it leads into Daughters which I think is uh, an excellent piece of DLC Yeah, and yeah that's pretty much the end of uh, 2014 and I think
1: the important point we're all big fans of Resident Evil 7 as a gameplay you know um, storyline and taking it very much back to basics The law question is, again, though, we're in a scenario where we've got everything new. We've got this soft reboot with perhaps just one strand of the BSA kind of like sneaking through. Does this work? I suppose the question is, was there anything else to bring through post kind of like RE6 in particular that could have been brought through or should have been brought through? instead of doing the complete soft reset. Could we have had a continuation of... Was there anything? I don't know. Everything gets wrapped up in every individual title at the moment.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to distance themselves from what happened in Resident Evil 6 because it wasn't particularly well received. I don't think the storyline is universally liked. And the only element, really, to carry forward was the characters of like Jake and Sherry, which Capcom have sadly refused to do. I mean, I suppose you could have done something else with the C-Virus, because it's mentioned at the end that it'll possibly mutate, creating more variants that Jake's vaccine might not work against, so the need to find him again and get more samples of his blood. But at the time, I think I lamented the lack of connections, but looking back on it now, I really enjoy the build-up to Resident Evil 7, and I think the mould as a concept... Even though it's a bit of a MacGuffin in in that it does anything it wants, a bit like the black goo from Prometheus, I think the the concept of it being based around bacteria and mold is quite an interesting one rather than just having another T-virus variant.
1: Yeah. Sean, you wax lyrical about RE7 with very very good reason. But where do you sit on the actual storyline of the mold and, you know, kind of what it can do from a lore point of view?
4: If we're talking about RE7, it didn't bother me at all because I felt it was grounded within that title very, very well. When we go to Village and, you know, you learn entire personalities can be kept within this network of fungi, it leads to this probably... I'm probably jumping forward a few points, but, you know, people are already linking the, the mutamycete to being Wesker's return to the series. Because at some point he will have been exposed to this fungi. The fact that that's possible. It is possible. And it would be the worst cop-out they could do with this entire series. The irony is in that bringing back RE's greatest villain. At a point when you've realised him in a really, really well done way in RE4 Remake. You can debate to the end of the earth, whether he, he should be on site or not. But the point is, in terms of the interpretation, yeah, and he's, he's a bit cartoon villainy, but it, it's still a good interpretation. I don't think anyone's really knocking how he's been perceived in Resident Evil 4 Remake.
3: Imagine if they did a thing where they brought him back via the Megamycete, this, yep. like, consciousness realm whatever and his consciousness is floating around in there and that uh, he can just possess people at will who have also been exposed to it and then chris realizes that the you way know, what he can actually truly stop him is to be exposed to himself and to go inside the consciousness like gestalt realm of this and fight wesker's spirit inside this realm That'd be so, so stupid.
5: It's another MCU parallel, isn't it? The megamicy is the uh, the multiverse. and We're going to have Chris Redfield variants turning up. All the lore in Seven's really good, and Village just completely went off the deep end with it all.
1: It did, it did. So 2015 kind of rolls along. We, we've only, As you said, we've only had kind of daughters go along 2015 season. The connections begin to observe Evelyn and... Lucas becomes a bit of their lackey, really. They give him a bit of a serum to reduce infection, and most importantly, Evelyn doesn't realise that she lacks complete control over him, I think. But that's not that clear until perhaps a bit later on. It's not really explained why Zoe is somewhat
5: immune as well. because She's not given the serum. Yeah, it's, it's never really explained, not even in the supplemental material, what happens with Zoe. It's, it's just kind of implied that so long as she doesn't upset Evelyn; she'll just be left alone mm. you know I, I don't think Evelyn particularly gave a shit about Zoe she was more concerned just with Jack and Marguerite becoming her surrogate parents yeah. and as long as Lucas and Zoe didn't upset her they would, they would be more or less left alone which is probably why she doesn't really cotton on that Lucas is no longer under her power so to speak
1: the Connections, we know from the Baker report, which is probably still one of the best pieces of supplemental material that we've had in a long time, I would say, in, in connecting some of the dots. The Connections aren't a pharmaceutical organisation, they are a criminal organisation, you know, that does bad bad things, it would appear. They obviously have some, or quite a lot of, pharmaceutical expertise, and they team up with HCF, who up to this point were considered to be a bit like the USS of Umbrella, but could still now be the rival organisations name, which I'd like to see confirmed at some point.
5: The little we learn of Brandon Bailey in RE5 is quite disillusioned with what's happened to Umbrella. He was gutted when James Marcus was killed off. So part of me thinks he's just formed this criminal enterprise just out of spite and he's used his knowledge of Umbrella and their secrets to sort of build it up and that's probably how they've got hold of the mould because Bailey probably knew about the existence of the mould through Spencer. And he wasn't going to repeat Spencer's mistake. He was like, No, I can see the value in this. I'm going to reach out to Miranda and and see if I can get hold of it and offer her some bullshit of being able to resurrect a daughter, you know, in order to secure a sample. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens if they do carry the connection storyline forward. I mean, I assume they'll retcon Brandon Bailey's death. I mean, he'll be a very, very old man anyway. It's a shame they weren't really followed up in Village outside of the odd mention, but. Interesting group going forward. I do mm. hope they come back.
1: And just on the side point, we quickly switch back to Umbrella Corps as well with the multiplayer element, which is what, Sean, you were alluding to earlier <laughs> with uh, Potential risk. But the multiplayer side of things is where it kind of happens. But, John, did you want to give an overview
5: of that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just what you said earlier, that Umbrella Corps multiplayer takes place throughout 2015 and 16, and it's just all about these companies, including Chenya from Heavenly Island, Breaking into quarantine zones to try and steal valuable data and remnants of virus samples that have been left on site. Again, it just sort of adds to the overall world building and, and, you know, just goes to demonstrate that every man and his dog can get hold of these bioweapons now
1: during this time as well because of the failed mission to safely secure evelyn bsa come under more scrutiny and this is when that collusion recommendation should we say to work with blue umbrella
5: yeah i mean i get annoyed with people on twitter they've suddenly started going back to like previous games and saying oh this was only just a clue from when the bsa were corrupt and it's like well that's bollocks literally no one thought the bsa was corrupt before village came along Um, you know they were the good guys pretty much ever present throughout every incident we've spoken about tonight but this particular incident where they failed to capture Evelyn is the first time they've decided to turn to the dark side so to speak and cover up their mistakes which obviously comes back to bite them on the ass later on but it's more to do with the fact that you know millions of people are dying in Langshang, new york's getting infected bioterrorism's only getting worse why aren't we doing anything about it You know the BSA are under pressure. The budget's stretched. They haven't got enough men. They're running out of equipment. This is all mentioned in the umbrella arsenal system, the gun law from Tokyo Maru, and basically the BSA are becoming forced to rely on Umbrella and Blue Umbrella are basically saying well we can't provide aid in bioterrorism zones if you're not letting us deploy our own soldiers and the UN of like well we can't let you do that because no one trusts you so they end up coming to a compromise of working together they form a new unit the one which is featured in Resident Evil 7 which is comprised of BSAA soldiers but wearing Umbrella branded weapons and equipment so is that a mutual convenience? <laughs> mutual but obviously Obviously, there's a bit of mistrust on both sides. Obviously, the likes of Chris isn't happy with working with Umbrella, and no doubt many of his colleagues are of the same opinion. But as time goes on, obviously, we're still learning about the story. But the suggestion is that the BSA are coming so reliant upon Umbrella that umbrella can basically dictate policy and start to control the bsa from within and that's where i think the storyline post village is heading i don't think the bsa have simply turned evil you know i think it's it's more umbrella corrupting them and i hope the BSAA are vindicated in a future game because they've been around too long you know and they've done too much good stuff to just be randomly made the bad guys for no reason
1: Yes, I think we, it should finish with a kind of reveal that ring back some of the old BSA people, O'Brien or someone like that.
5: Yeah. I'd like Resident Evil 9 to possibly set up the BSA as the bad guys, but as time goes on, it becomes apparent that it's Umbrella pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: When I was being mind-controlled by Wesker, all I wanted was to kill you. All of you. I was conscious, but... I couldn't stop myself. It was like living in a nightmare.
6: Sometimes. The nightmare sticks with you. And if you're not careful, it'll swallow you up.
0: I'm fine now. Don't worry about me.
6: There was this guy named Piers. I wanted him to take over after me. I trusted him, and he trusted me. He fought alongside me, then... He died to save me. We have to be ready to die, in the line of duty. It's part of the job. But rushing in like you did last night, you're not just risking your life. Honestly I probably would have done the same as you. That's why our job is hard. We have to consider stuff like that always We've been in this fight for so long We're getting numb to it So we have to be even more careful now Because if we're not That numbness will burn right down to our souls
0: Innocent people are being poisoned and used as weapons. Whoever's doing that has no soul. And if we want to stop them, we can't afford to think about being numb or souls or any of that shit. At least I can't.
1: So the final thing that happens in 2015, and we'll, we'll do a round robin here, is Death Island. Oh yes, it's still fresh in everyone's mind. It does seem odd actually, now that we've done it in chronological order, I wonder in like future playthroughs and watchthroughs, does Death Island just stick out again like a sore thumb? It, it seems odd that we're going back to the T-Virus. I'm just, you know, think we've gone, basically we've kind of left T-Virus and Plaga, we've merged into C-Virus and then Mold and just, yeah, I'm not sure. But I mean, again, Death Island had so much promise, from my point of view anyway, and it's just another storyline of a random individual in Raccoon City at the time seeking some type of revenge on unnamed individuals. It hints and tints at, you know, the umbrella government
5: involvement, I suppose, and people being pawns, but... If you think of everything we've discussed tonight, everything that's happened since 2009, why the hell has it taken six years for Jill to come back to the BSA? That's that's true, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate she's been through a lot, but, geez, six years? Mm.
1: Rob, what do you think? You know, obviously... Death Island's quite fresh in everyone's minds. as only came out this year. As John said, having gone through all this kind of, I'd say quite gritty era, this bioterrorism, government conspiracies and underhand shenanigans, and then just go to death island or do you think it works quite well
2: no i mean i don't think it works really well in the context of the whole narrative but the setup it kind of works when i think about it more because you've got like claire working looking into this investigation this thing that's washed up on a beach and there's obviously some reporting and stuff going on in the bsa level um stuff with chris like obviously they're still investigating things that are happening as these obviously these attacks that are happening in the city that they're attending so like on that scale it kind of works but it's low stakes compared to like some of these near world ending events yes. um, that have happened but then we also have in the context that there's a few things that haven't happened yet as well that we know and yeah it's a tough one i think it does feel a little bit awkward when you place it in the timeline but it also doesn't if you look at the starting of the context but yeah it just happens because the villain's motivation and his choice of weaponry i guess for lack of a better term feels very low stakes ironically this i feel like is more of a personal vendetta than vendetta is a personal vendetta if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so like that may also explain it kind of because he's it was really about a personal grudge somewhat more than it is the event's that caused the villain's motivation in Raccoon City. So yeah, it's it's a bit weird.
1: Here's a thought and I'll pose it to anyone. Is Chris too happy in Death Island? Again, I was unaware because I'm I'm not that up on what happens when. The fact that this happens after the failed attempt, which would have presumably involved Chris, to capture Evelyn and that kind of gritty element, does it not seem a little weird for this to take place and this kind of disgruntled Chris now teaming up with, you know, Umbrella to then go on a little trip to San Francisco wearing a Hawaiian shirt? I- I'm going to say it's part of a tonal
2: inconsistency in the character because of the CG movie. Issues, you know, there's a ton yeah, of inconsistency yeah. at times with even the characters in between the CG movies, let alone the consistency of that character between movies and games. So I agree it is, but I kind of just accept it because I think I'm used to that. Like there's a difference in Leon's personality, you know, between different mm. Versions, even within the CG movies, he goes from very stoic and quiet to brash and quippy. You know,
1: I just think with Vendetta happening, I think it works relatively well after Adonia. Chris is kind of works-ish. I just feel we're kind of getting, you know, you're kind of building up to really pissed-off Chris by Village. You know, to a point where you think Pierce would probably tell him off big time for not telling Ethan what the hell was going on if Pierce was still alive. It just seems after, you know, to, to have Death Island happening here. I, mm. We'll see. I, th- I think this is one for the future, isn't it? If you were to do it all in order again, just to see where it plays, you know, how
5: it feels. This is why you need someone like Sugimura to keep track of all these things and keep yeah. all the connections feeling natural, because I very much doubt the writer of Death Island was even aware that certain events from Resident Evil 7 had happened prior to the events of his film. Mm
1: Well, that is where we plan to end our kind of brief, uh, brief three-hour-odd <laughs> excursion through the post-RE5 world. We intend, I think, to do another one up to Resident Evil Village in a kind of lore summary. So let's go round the table then with some kind of concluding thoughts. Are we satisfied with this world-building? Is it actually better than perhaps you thought it was? You know, what questions have been answered, what hasn't been answered? And have we identified what the main issues were? Is it the villain problem or is... Is it actually something a bit more fundamental?
5: I think the villain problem is is an obvious factor, but for me as well, it's it's the whole bioterrorism thing in general. In one sense, I like it because it's a natural evolution of where the series started from. You know, if you play the earlier games, it's all about containing the incidents, stopping the viruses from spreading. You know, stopping these things from falling into the wrong hands. And obviously, despite the best efforts of our heroes, it's spread all across the globe and we're now in a point now where, you know, zombies are commonplace. People know about them. BOWs carry the same sort of fear and paranoia as nuclear weapons. You know, all these countries are in arms races trying to get hold of the best viruses and whatnot. And even though that's quite an interesting angle, I also think that takes something away from the series. You know, I miss the intimacy of the earlier games. The storytelling was told through the perspectives of like diary entries from everyday characters. You know, that's kind of what progressed the story in between the games and we don't get so much of that anymore. We just get these big incidents with hardly any build-up, and then all of a sudden they're just resolved, and then we move on to the next one mm. with a completely new villain, completely new organization, and previous events are not mentioned.
2: I think that's fundamentally the thing that sticks out to me. is It's not necessarily that it, there's an inconsistency in the fact that there's a single villain or whatever. It's just that there isn't an arc or a plan going forwards of where this seems to go. And, and I can't say that the franchise has ever really had that. It never really has. Every title has kind of, but we're in an environment now where perhaps they need to start looking ahead if they're that confident in their ability to make games and they should be with seven and village they should be with the results of the remakes that they could easily go right we're going to start a trilogy of a story with an intent to actually have that story or look at what we haven't answered in the past and start to bring those narrative threads back in to close them up or create new ones and it would create a much more cohesive gaming experience for them a narrative point but the chances are they're not going to because they haven't previously and they aren't probably going to continue doing that and even when they've had opportunities to do it they haven't done it so and i don't think it's important i think it's just focusing on getting the game done and moving forward and telling the best story they can in the medium they've got so it's tough i don't think we'll ever get a, a resolve and we're just lucky when we get an answer or a pickup to something previously or a surprise and we can only hope that continue to happen that we get another i don't want to say exactly like revelations 2 or you know resident evil 5 but something that culminates a certain era or ties up some loose ends or brings the story together and i I think if they can at least achieve that then that would be a a good continuing moving forwards
3: mr spencer I'm not sure, honestly. Like, I think it's been okay. I think it's just—it's at a point where the series has been running on for as long as it has. I mean, every franchise is going to run into this issue where you have that initial thing that you're going to build up with, but it's... It's something has been running really for too long, you're just gonna have problems no matter what. And I think that's something we have to come to accept to come to terms with that unless you do like a reboot, like that's what happens. You either have like a show or a franchise or a video game series either lives long enough to see itself become the villain or it gets a reboot in the form of some other form. I'm at a point, honestly, where I think Resident Evil needs a reboot. I'll mm. say it right now. I think it needs a reboot. I think it's too bloated, there's too much stuff going on. But what about this
1: era? What about this particular era? Because bioterrorism era, how well do you think that was kind of shown throughout this period? Or do you think it was too bitty or
3: not not, not focused enough? I think... They didn't go far enough with it in places. Okay. I like the idea, the political angle of it, drawing inspiration from real world history and events where, you know, you have the war on terror. And I think it would have been neat if Resident Evil kind of leaned into that more of having this war on bioterror, if you will, and made it more of like a bigger deal than it was rather than just like your isolated pockets. It's going to sound really messed up to say this, but a Resident Evil equivalent of a big organized threat, not like neo Umbrella, but like Al-Qaeda or something, or ISIS, like a major thing that everyone knew about in the news as a major terrorist faction that existed so it's a villain problem again as as a villain problem so i think you should have had like rather than the villain be you know umbrella as it was before have it as like whatever the isis equivalent would be of a significant major terrorist organization like terrorist cells that is very far reaching and very powerful and have them now as the threat rather than Corporations and things like that, and that sort of thing, and I think, yeah, they should have leaned into it more. Honestly, with the bioterrorism, I mean, Raccoon City was the 9/11 of the Resident Evil universe, and I think it changed the political landscape of the world after that era. And I think it would have been neat to have had things like perhaps a Resident Evil equivalent of the Patriot Act brought in, stuff like that, and all kinds of stuff. And it's why I like you know, the the um, global pharmaceutical consortium was real pretty neat as well. And but again i think lean into bioterrorism more move away from like tricell and umbrella just do something new and different
1: final words stars tyrant how did you see this era i kind of echo what everybody
4: said i mean i think the bioterrorism angle i remember at the time thinking this was such a genius way to go because um the idea of like you know the viruses landing on the black market degeneration did this well you know with uh Storyline that occurs there with the T virus being leaked onto the black market and thus creating a wave of bioterrorism and, and whatnot it was a genius way to carry on the series. But it needed, any good story needs its villain, and the problem is our heroes, as great as they are, as great as Chris and Jill and Leon and Claire are, they've not had a compelling villain now in the absence of Wesker, and this has been the fundamental issue of the series. And every time they've promised a villain, they've snatched them away as, as quickly as they've been introduced. It doesn't matter how good each individual entry is, the lack of cohesion and glue between these titles just doesn't feel like it's there in this era. It's so standalone to a fault. And I don't think people ultimately look back on the bioterrorism era warmly, which is possibly the desire in so many people to see it want to be remade in in many capacities. I enjoyed it because I can enjoy it. I you know, I am very happy to just see the directions that franchise is going and Resident Evil I'm always intrigued in when it's trying something new. Has it been ultimately satisfying? I don't think it was. No, uh, it's a difficult one, this Nick, because I don't have it, it, it was certainly a developmental era of Resident Evil where it, we were sort of sat on the fence for so many years as a fandom with no real idea of where it was going to go and what it was going to settle on. And it really did take, really, Resident Evil 7 to sort of say, right, we're going to clamp down again, we're going to find what it makes brilliant, this franchise, and go in that direction again. But that's, in terms of our narrative with this podcast, that's still a couple of years off.
1: I do agree. I think this podcast has been actually quite fascinating because it's not, not every day but you're able to look back on an entire period and just see how, how well it, or abstract it, is connectivity-wise. Well, I mean,
4: the idea of this podcast, Nick, was to look back on probably the most... Well, I mean, not probably, the most problematic era of mm, Resident Evil. Yeah. Yeah, we've not really... That we can't come to a unified conclusion just tells you how fragmented this era was.
1: It was, and I think I'm actually personally quite guilty of try not over-hyping the era to an extent, but, you know, I look for those connections. I think it's, you know, I, I want to have that. So I, I praise things like Heavenly Island quite a lot because it does a little bit more than perhaps, you know, what other titles do. And the caveat kind of with
4: that is, I feel, is it, is it comes long after.
1: Look, yeah, yeah, so they can, they, so they can so put it in It's so revise, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting discussion, and and this is why I was very excited about Village as well, because it was a direct sequel, and I am praying and hoping that come Resident Evil Nine, we actually get another connectivity to not only the Village storyline, I want a direct follow up, but I want like Mia to be in it. I want her. I want the connections to be a part of it. I, I'm not sure they're gonna be. I think they've they've moved away from the connections, which is unfortunate in my opinion. Because otherwise, even now with seven and then eight kind of following up, eight and seven are so different in terms of the, they may as well be separate viruses because they're so different, you know, but anyway. So it's an interesting thing. So I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that there has been a lack of cohesion um, and overall arc in terms of where this era is going. And I think Mr. Spencer's comments about having perhaps a kind of unified group.
3: Like could you need have... some
1: like significant
3: antagonistic force.
1: I think so, yeah. and I think that's an interesting summary. So that does finish our main discussion. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. And we, as I said, we do plan on doing a kind of follow-up to that, going through the kind of RE7 and Village era to kind of bring everyone up to speed, I suppose, in terms of the corruption angle, because I know it's a heated topic point about just how corrupt the BSA are or are not. So we, felt, I suppose we've had a little bit of a teaser there. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we now look to wrap up this podcast with the latest edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz.
2: Do you know
4: your G-Virus from your C-Virus?
5: And your Jabberwock from your Bandersnatch? Or perhaps the number of bombs that appear on the Made in Heaven vest? It's, it's an <laughs> exciting <fucking> question,
1: <laughs> is that? I'm getting a big fat zero this week. Yeah, I'm
5: not going to get any of these. We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins, this Resident Evil Quiz. We're now getting <laughs> Spice Girls as the correct answer, I mean it's time to quit.
0: This is Neptune Firehazard Quiz.
1: one and or we have five questions we welcome back mr spencer of course who uh, loves a good podcast quiz i know he does so if you can clear your desktops you can open up notepad we have five questions let's go so yeah just a heads up these are from all over the place no particular rhyme or reason but i'm, I'm quite excited about this one question number one what is the name of the triple barreled shotgun in resident evil five Question number two, is it true or is it false? Mask of Sorrow is a collectible item in Resident Evil Village. Is that true or is that false? The Mask of Sorrow. Question number three, in how many games does a false eye appear as an item? It doesn't have to be specifically called a false eye, but what a reasonable person would deem a false eye.
3: Can we include remakes into that?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Uh, okay. So okay. So I'm and the just remake
4: on separate entities then.
1: Not for this one because I don't think it is. I know. I, I
3: think I know where you think it is. I don't think it's in there.
4: It is in there, Nick.
3: It is in a certain game. Okay. Fine. fine. <laughs> oh, this is already off to a great start. But even <laughs> the question, guys, like, is that the right one? <laughs> I don't know. Don't what I got here. <laughs> uh, okay. Fine. Fine. fine.
1: I, so I'm just looking for a number for this one. Okay. Just a number. Very okay. important. Question number four. Also looking for just a number. In how many games do more than one Hunter variant appear?
4: Are you including non-canon battle modes in that, or is it... No, no,
1: no, 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 canonical. Okay. Question number five. A welcome return to Where Am I? So, Mr. Spence, I'm not sure if you've done one of these before. So, it's a Where Am I round, um, whereby I describe a pathway to a particular place, and you've got to tell me what room or where am I, okay? So, listen carefully. So, where am I? I am on Sheena Island and in the literal gutter. Walking forward through a gate, I then go up a ladder. I turn left into a building and take a look around. There are two doors, one to the left and one to the right. I take the right door. Where am I? Okay, so there are the five questions let's see how well everyone has done with those answers so question number one was what is the name of the triple barreled shotgun in resident evil 5 mr spencer tell us uh,
3: it, it, i i love this because i believe that the stars wesker skin or character in Ori 5 mercenaries uses this weapon uh. and it's called the hydra
5: gone for the hydra batman yes i had hydra stars turn
1: the hydra romby i also had hydra it is the Hydra. Points all round. Excellent start, gentlemen. Very good. I'm sure George would have had Hydra as well. <laughs> Once he googled it. Question two was a true or false round. The mask of sorrow is a collectible mask or item in Resident <laughs> Evil Village. Batman, is that true or is it not false?
5: My brain's switched off now after four hours. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess no. False.
1: Yes.
3: False. Okay. Start, start it's true. Rombi?
2: I'm going
6: true.
3: Mr Spencer? Uh, I'm going to complete guess with this because I can't recall. False.
1: is incorrect. It's true. The Mask of Sorrow is a collectible item. One of the many, many masks. What well, You need to the, get out of the castle. need to get out of the castle. It is correct. Very good. So points there to Star Tyrant and Rombi. Congratulations. So question number three. We're looking for a number. So only give me a number. Okay, I don't want to know where you think they're from. I just want a number. In how many games does a false eye appear as an item? Stars Tyrant.
4: And can only recall two. Two. Three Batman. if you include remakes, but...
1: Well, we'll include... Okay, we'll include a remake. We'll three. Batman.
5: I had three as well.
3: Mr. Spencer. Uh, yeah, I put three for that. If we've got to include remakes in three. Romby. I had two.
2: You had two? Yeah, but I wasn't including remakes, so... <laughs>
1: It's incorrect, everyone is incorrect.
5: <laughs> okay. All of it.
1: it's four if you're including Remake Four. I can't, I, I swear to God, I can't actually remember the. I know he's got it, but I can't remember picking it up anyway. Uh,
4: item it's,
2: in remake Four, it's not a quest item, it's not a quest item, it's that you can just pick it up as a treasure item. It's uh, that, that's the, it, the, that, the, the you, aside.
1: that's why I've just streamed that blooming part and I thought like, I don't remember picking it up at the end, but uh, yeah, so the answer is four. So, bonus points. If anyone can guess the four, I've given you one.
3: Two, I suppose. Well, I would say, let's be honest, Resident Evil 4 and then Revelations 2.
4: Oh, God, is it Rev 2?
3: I think it's Rev 2.
4: Oh, then it's Rev 2, Code Veronica, and the two remake uh, Resident Evil 4s.
3: I think that's it. Is correct? Very good. Very good. So
1: there are the points. I'm going to give Mr. Spencer a bonus point for getting that all before anyone else. Well, that's Sean well
5: got the other. T-
4: Sean no, I John has already prompted me. Where, where is it in Revelation? Re- uh, oh, to- yeah, the, the artificial f- life. It's in the factory.
5: The factory, isn't it? yeah. Uh, yeah uh, cool.
4: with, the, with the ceiling puzzle.
3: Because you use it to open that door where the dead guy's in, I think, where you get the fake liver from him, I think, mm. in the chair, I believe.
1: Question number four, then we'll do it again. So, in how many games do more than one Hunter variants appear? Mr. Spencer, you can start. Total guess, uh, six. Gone for six. Okay, Rombi. I had five. Starstone. Seven. Batman.
5: So more than one Hunter variant appears in the same game.
1: Correct, yes. And I'm not talking about the Red Hunter from Remake. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, fucking
4: hell. He tells me that now.
1: A specific, you know, a recognised Hunter variant. Uh, three. One of you's correct. And the point goes to... Mr. Spencer, it is six. Wow, that's a tall shot in the dark. It is six. Right, okay, so now everyone knows it's six.
4: You're going to be interested, Nick. Go on, then.
1: There's a bonus point available now for guessing those six. I'm not sure how the best way of doing this is. Batman, did you want to have a guess at the six?
5: RE3, called Veronica, dark Side Chronicles, was my three. I'd have to guess. If guessing others, um, Umbrella Chronicles, er... Uh... I can't think. Oh, Revelations 1, bollocks.
1: 1B? Nah,
2: I'm not even going to try. Because I didn't even have the numbers right in my head, so... (laughs) Start,
1: start.
4: Um, Okay, six. So, we'll go... Code Veronica Rex, Hunter Sweeper, Side Chronicles, Gamma, Hunter, Orc. You've got the Elite and the Standard Hunter. Revelations, the Hunter and the Farrow Fellow. Resident Evil 3, Beta and the Gamma, and Saturn, the Alpha and the Tick. Six,
1: you know, I forgot about
3: Dark Chronicles, but I'm not sure. Oh I... my god, <laughs> <laughs> every time that we, we 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 give an answer that's not what he was expecting, he goes, Oh, oh I forgot. Dark Side, that. Dark Side, I mean, it
4: might even have more because, uh, sorry, the Hunter 2.
3: Yeah. I mean, oh,
1: I'll be honest, I was specifically talking about canonical entries in the, in the sense that Dark Side is not really. A... Oh, yeah,
4: yeah it it is. You know, I thought you'd more call me up for including Orc for the well, well, I mean, well I... I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it going to be, Nick?
3: Mr. Spencer, what are you all right? What's... I'm not going to say anything, because I know if I do, you will just change the answer or something. Like You don't even know I'll what get... the answers are. My answers are this. Right, so Co-Veronica Cove X. There's bollocks.
1: The Sweeper and the Hunter 2. Okay. Um, Resident Evil 3 with the Beta and the Gamma. And obviously Remake 3 with the Beta and the Gamma. Revelations, as Sean correctly identified, has the... Hunter Standard and the Farrah Outbreak File 2 has oh, the, Alex, one, yeah, the 125R and the Hunter Mew. And you're going to kick yourself for the last one. Dead Aim has the Hunter Elite and the Glimmer. What about the Fuck Hunter and the Tick? <laughs> well, that's not canonical. The Tick.
4: I was raised on that Saturn game.
2: <laughs> uh, hang on. I also want to argue if that's not canonical, but the remakes are also included; that it should count.
3: Okay, no, no, wait. Well, for the sake of me retaining my point, let's move on to the next question. It's <laughs> fine. <Earth expires. laughs> we'll say it's six, and we're all good. You hit me
4: with them again, Nick. I'm for... no. I'm not having this. Go on. One more time, <laughs> all the games, please.
1: Code Runner X. Yep. Hunter Two Sweeper. Yeah. Go Outbreak on. File Two has the Hunter One Two Five R and the Hunter Muse. Okay. Dead Aim has the Hunter Elite and the Hunter Glimmers. Right. Revelations have the Standard Hunter okay. and the Farrow Fellow. Resident right. Evil 3 and and 3 Remake, for that matter, have the okay. Hunter Beta and the Hunter Gamma.
4: Okay, well, where's Outbreak? File 1. Doesn't have because the Hunter that has, gammas, that
1: has Gammas and... Oh, shit, it does, doesn't
4: it? That has Gammas and one two, fives.
3: Yeah. Oh, it did. Oh, no. Yeah, did. Anyway, next question.
5: Void the question. Everyone gets a point.
3: (laughs) Oh No, not everyone gets a point. It was all... I give an answer and he said it was right. But you guessed an answer and you didn't answer what it was. I I may have guessed it, but it was still right, son.
5: Well, I I said Dark Side Chronicles and that's correct.
3: Mm, Not in Operation Javier, though. I've been gone from this podcast for a year and we still have (laughs) fucking controversies going on.
1: It still hasn't changed. You
2: haven't missed a beat.
5: What about Resident think- Evil Genesis? Has the hunters and the, the hunters wearing trousers? <laughs>
4: <laughs> we may as well fucking include the Red Hunter from the remake of this, right?
3: Sorry, I say we just keep it as it is. And we next, move on to the next, next question. Next, 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 broken. I try. I, I honestly, <sighs> I try. We've done like six hundred questions. <laughs> Don't you know like it's basic maths in it?
2: It wasn't basic maths in this case, he just forgot one. It's <laughs> seven, least.
1: possibly eight, maybe nine if you count up.
3: <laughs> who who cares? Let's just throw a, let's just throw a dartboard. and wherever it lands on wit is the is the right answer. And we've still got Uh-oh. one
4: question left. Jesus. Oh
1: my head hurts. Oh, my God. Question five. Where am I? Oh, my God. I hope I've read this map right. I am on Sheena Island, and in the literal gutter, I'm walking forward through a gate, up a ladder, turn left, into a building, and then I take the right door. Where am I? Please (laughs) tell me I get this right. Rombie, where am I? I can't answer this because
2: I don't know what you mean by literal gutter. Like, that could be... okay. That could be, like... (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <When it's> the... <laughs>
2: that could, it could literally be about three or four different things. Is it a sewer or is it a literal gutter? Like what? I'm, co- I'm.
1: I think it's called the gutter in the game. Um... Oh, I don't.
2: I don't remember this in title. That's why it's. That's a fair call then. then. Then I have no answer still, but not through through my own ignorance, not through your description. If, no, if
1: no one knows, I'll give a clue and then we can go back to it. Batman, uh, did you uh. know?
5: Not to sound creepy, but am I in the kid's bedroom?
1: I don't know. Maybe you are. Star
5: Am I in the
4: arcade and Andy's about to shoot me through a window?
1: I don't know. Mr Spencer? Am I in a bar? One of you is in the correct place.
5: Ooh. Ooh.
1: And it's creepy, Batman. We are in the kids' bedroom. Oh. Yes, yeah, so it's Li- Lily and Lot's bedroom is the correct answer. The literal gutter is that sewer way where you. F- the water canal. Yeah. Yes. Where you fight yeah okay. The black that tiger that would make more sense. Yeah. We've got there. So congratulations. Let's have a look at those final scores and making a winning welcome return, somewhat dubiously and controversially, is Mr. Spencer with three <laughs> points.
3: <laughs> thank you very much for the selection win i like to thank all my followers Is what it is
1: if we were to take that extra point away because the question master got it wrong then everyone finished on two out of five
2: or if so... everyone got a point then everyone won't finish We've on got... three out of five either
3: way correct <laughs> no, I, I think <laughs> we go with the first outcome I think it's fine <laughs>
1: <laughs> so congratulations Mr Spencer on your victory that finishes the quiz now and probably forever <laughs> <laughs>
3: By the way, Nick, I'll uh, I'll meet you after um, to give you the money. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, we are coming to an end now of episode 92. I think we all need a lay down after that one. Brilliant. But I hope everyone has enjoyed our look through um, the bioterrorism era and such a gloomy subject ended quite nicely with the quiz. Coming up next, as we move into 2024, it's Happy Birthday Resident Evil Outbreak File 1. That's right, Outbreak, uh, as of this month, is turning 20 years old when it was first released in Japan. Now you may think, oh that's great, representative You're gonna do another Happy Birthday Outbreak style where we go through the game and tell us of your adventures. And correct, we are. But we're gonna do it slightly different because Outbreak 1 and File 2 are basically the same game. We're going to do shorter episodes throughout the year to celebrate Outbreak's release across multiple months, if you like. And we're going to do two scenarios at a time where we're going to play the first two scenarios from Outbreak. So that's Outbreak and Hellfire, I think, are the first two. And we're going to go through those chapters in quite some detail about how what we experienced. And, and they just have a, that kind of podcast. So they should be smaller ones, a bit more bite-sized, if you like. But it should celebrate Outbreak for it is a forgotten game in the in the grand scheme of things ahead of its time and so we're going to be reflecting on 20 years so there's going to be lots of them throughout the year so we'll probably have them scattered about the uh, the schedules which should be uh, make for something a bit interesting a bit more different um, but we'll should hopefully bring you them uh, starting with the next one so something to look forward to there we go so that does finish it i'll thank everyone again for listening and of course supporting us as we hit our half a million download great stuff uh, it's goodbye for me, Neptune.
5: Goodbye for me, Batman. Goodbye for me,
1: Star's Tyrant. Goodbye for me, Rombie. And
3: it's goodbye for me, Mr.